It is Free Talk Live. As always, you're invited to join the discussion. 603-283-6160 if you would like to win. Again, the number 603-283-6160. With you in the studio tonight, it's Aria. It's Bonnie. And Matt. And Matt, you today was a hearing for Jeremy Kaufman, the founder of and creator of Library, uh, which is a blockchain-based media sharing protocol. Well said. What? Thank that, you. That's what it is. Why is why is he? I last time I heard the SEC was messing with him. I, yes. I don't know if that ever got resolved or what happened with it. No, but... they've been messing with him apparently for years, but he uh, kind of kept it under his hat be for legal reasons. Lawyers make recommendations and so forth. And uh, I don't know, maybe a year ago, he let it out that the SEC was messing with him. When did the lawsuit start? Um, I don't know the details like that, but uh, they've they've been trying to get him. In, in, it's not. I don't think it's necessarily Jeremy so much as it is Library Inc. So what what is this thing going on in the federal court? Is this related to the SEC nonsense? Yes, this is okay. 100%. The SEC is, you know, making claims about uh, library. They're trying to claim that library credits are a security. Whatever that means, right? Yeah. They, the SEC think, thinks it's ahead. Well, the, apparently the SEC does have say over anything that could be considered a security. So if something's being marketed as some, as an investment that will make you more money in the long run if you hold on to it, then it's a security. But that was never said, as I recall, of LBC, which is the uh, cryptocurrency that library uses. Yes. It was just a a token that is used on their blockchain. So I I think it was their evidence uh, from what I gather is very uh, on the light side. They don't have a whole lot of it. And I think one thing they're referencing is some employee of libraries a long time ago sent an email to somebody saying, you know, it's cryptocurrency, so it'll probably go up in value. Wow. And, you know, that was kind of an informal, it was not a direct statement by Library Inc. by any stretch of the imagination. It was just some employee sending a, a, a well, kind of an informal note. That's a good uh, example of why you should always say this isn't legal advice or this isn't right. financial this advice. This isn't financial advice. This isn't legal advice. Real I personally example. think you should be able to say whatever you want to yeah. say and let the buyer beware, you know. But um, in this Certainly. case, uh, the the... It looks like another weak federal case against cryptocurrency people. They've been doing that a lot lately. Yeah, it's been a you know it's like the new thing. It's all hip and cool in Washington D.C. to attack people that are into crypto on a on a influential level. So, uh, but yeah, uh, listening to it, one interesting commonality between this is an entirely different judge than the one that's overseeing uh, Ian's case. Um, but one commonality I found between this judge and Ian's judge that I, was, I have to say I'm, I'm very impressed by is they're old guys, and they seem to be doing everything. They're, I think they're making a very valid effort as kind of stodgy old law people to learn everything they can learn about the subject matter. I think they're trying very hard to understand library, to understand cryptocurrency in general, you know, just so they can have a grasp of what's going on in this case and what is the complaint. And I think they're doing a pretty good job, to be honest with you. And what I said to Jeremy earlier was that the one huge tragedy about these cases is that the subject matter experts that these judges should be reaching out to for advice on the topic, 
are the ones being are charged. the ones being prosecuted. Yeah, hmm. for sure. And that is such a backwards tragedy. And I think you find that all throughout government operations. I think it's just one backwards tragedy after the next. And they just stack them up and, and insist that they're right about things in the end of the day. And So really is not. Jeremy being charged or was he there representing libraries? I, he's there representing libraries. Okay, so he's so. not personally charged with anything? I they're, don't believe so. Library presumably library. is being sued by the yeah, SEC or whatever? Yeah, this is going to be like a you know, violation fine kind of thing as far as I know. But um, again... Listening to just like in Ian's case, you can just sit back and listen to the Crypto Six case uh, case stuff going on. It's really, really the 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 case that the state I shouldn't say the state the state the, the case that the government is bringing just feels really weak and rickety and wonky, and then nobody knows what's really going on. There's no real law in hmm. place well they're uh, regulators they're, like they're they shouldn't regulators. even be able to make laws but. yeah yeah it, it's just it's and that's kind of what they do and now with the supreme court case from the epa from a couple of weeks ago these government agencies aren't going to be able to just start declaring definitions like they used to anymore oh i didn't hear about that yeah, it was a big case i, I heard about it because the second amendment stuff for a the, couple the, weeks ago it was a couple weeks ago. It was ago. recently. I, yeah. I'm not sure exactly how long ago uh, Two, it was, three weeks yeah. ago. It's kind of mm-hmm. ongoing, but uh, the, the, the hammer dropped a couple weeks ago for sure. So uh, with that said, does that make a difference in any of this? Does that make it? I bet that makes some kind of difference. So, you know, if these if these people are just going to be the ones arbitrarily coming up with definitions of what's a security or what's a rifle, what's a pistol, what's a machine gun, you know, what's an armament? You know? In a lot of cases, they're using definitions from like the 70s and the 80s that don't actually apply to anything happening in the world today. Yeah. It's like trying to regulate the internet by using laws about, you know, uh, telephone lines or whatever. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't make any sense. And, and uh, you know, a, a lot of it's you realize what they're trying to do. They're just trying to be attack dogs and get yeah. a, get some blood in their mouth. They want to destroy cryptocurrency. Yeah, or they, they want, want to take to, control yeah, of Yeah, they want to do it by destroying people who are influential in the crypto sphere, too. You know, So yeah. if you have a, a voice of any kind, this show, we, we reach a lot of people with this show. And we have been talking about cryptocurrency on this show for way longer than I was on this show. I remember listening to this show back in New York, people, you know, Ian talking about Bitcoin back a very long time ago. So I think the earliest mention was like in 2012 or something like that. The earliest time it was mentioned on the show. I don't remember the exact date, though. Yeah, that would be about right. It was a long time ago. It was. And, uh, you know, when you're an early adopter and you have a big voice about it, you are the biggest threat the other than the technology itself. Sure. And they can't go after the technology in this particular case because it's decentralized. And they can't really do anything about it. Decentralization is a really hard hill to climb for somebody who only understands centralization. I mean, it's a it's a night night and day kind of thing. And they only understand one way to go after things like they actually can't kill cryptocurrency this way. Mm -mm. Luckily. Yeah, no. And um, the library case, I I think this judge, this is going to be like a summary judgment kind of thing. It may not even end up going to trial. At the end of today, the judge said, you know, nobody do anything else. Don't file any more motions. Don't spend any more money. Um, Really? Yeah. He said, I want to, I'm going to, I'll have an answer for you, hopefully by the end of August, but definitely by the end of September. And I don't want anybody spending any more money on this. Why the hell is it taking so long? He said, he said, well, I don't know. He's got a lot. This is a, it's a deep hole. This guy's got to educate himself in crypto and blockchains and all kinds of stuff before he can make a call as to whether this is even what his word, the judge's words were. I need to find out 
if this is even a trialable a triable case. <laughs> so he's not even the judge is looking at this like eh, there, there's nothing clear cut. He needs to find out if it's a triable case. I'm glad he spoke up now that a uh, library has spent four to five million dollars. Of course, yeah. Well, the punishment is the the process is the punishment. Right. Yeah, there, there's no way to win once once the government comes after you. It's just a matter of how badly, how much damage they do. You know, yeah. how expensive is it going to be? How much time are yep. you going to lose? No one wins. Mm-hmm. Nobody wins when the government gets involved. No, uh, but sometimes when the government loses, everybody wins. And uh, you know, it's it's sad that some people martyr themselves or are forced into martyrdom. Well, you may win some rights back, yeah. or something. And along everybody those lines, wins but, those rights. You know, you know? The, the people who are actually targeted by the government, they, they never get that time or money back. Nope. No, not 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 even close. So, I mean, the right it, is good, but it's like a consolation prize, right? Essentially, yeah. After the government has stolen some number of years of your life, or some amount of money from you, or some property from you, you know how government. I, I think it's totally. physical too, like the amount of stress. I even I'm under for my boyfriend being yeah, going through. Totally. Uh, I feel like I'm aging faster. Hundred percent. Yeah, and you should be. I mean, that's 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 what stress does to you. And these people are the ultimate creators of stress. You know, that's what I I like this. Uh, you know, if if you see somebody that's standing up for your rights and they're they're going through hell on this and trust me and it'd be a great thing if people just reached out to those people say hey man can i throw 25 bucks your way or so you know just donate don't give people you know they're putting their they're putting themselves on the line and changing their lives for it what are your thoughts about the library case or about the feds attacks on cryptocurrency give us a call and share your thoughts 603-283-6160 there's more coming up it is free talk live It is Free Talk Live, and I want to tell you about Bitcoin.com. It's the best place to go to learn about cryptocurrency. If you're new to the subject and you're curious about it, don't just go buying it knowing nothing about it. Head on over to Bitcoin.com. Click Getting Started at the top of the page. It only takes a few minutes, so you can learn about this important world-changing information. But if you do already know about it, news.bitcoin.com still has something for you. You can stay up to date on all the news and headlines that are relevant to you, all on a sleek and easy-to-use modern website. That's news. .bitcoin.com. And with you today, it's Aria. It's Bonnie. And Matt. And we're talking about the Jeremy Kaufman library situation, which has been going on for a very long time. I remember when some of the transcripts were released, I think last year or the year before. It was it was a while ago. And it was just completely absurd, the sorts of things that the SEC attorneys were asking Jeremy Kaufman, such as, why do you have a website? And he repeated, he wanted to clarify, are you asking me why a company has a website? And they said, yes. It just completely ridiculous lines of questioning over and over again. I remember again. that. And it takes like hours, right? I feel like they're trying to fatigue you and make you slip up and say things because they really think that everybody they're going after is has nefarious, you know, reasons. Yeah, because government people tend to be paranoid, hmm. and the more things start to slip out of control for them, the more paranoid and attacky they get. Well, that makes sense, right? I mean, they, they are control freaks. They are predators. So, I mean, they project that onto everyone else. Sure. Hmm. Totally. They Even the judge, you know, he, he was there was a whole uh, section today where it was probably five minutes where the judge was trying to understand library's business model, and... He's like, well, what's the profit motive here? How are they going to make money? And, you know, it's not, I don't think he realized that. And I don't know. I don't, I can't stand, I can't answer that either. I don't know. I don't know what Jeremy's philosophy is. 
Um, well, I'm sure Library has made money. Yeah, but I think it's uh, Library Inc. What they own, Odyssey, and there's some credit card processing fees that go along with that. It's not, it's not, it's not a huge money, but there is a little bit coming in there. But he, he I suspect he was, Odyssey loses them a lot of money. Probably, I would think. But uh, he was so curious about you know what the money situation is. How did they? How are they planning on making any money? And, and I I understood that this the way I read it was that judge can't even comprehend taking action unless there's a profit motive attached to it. And mm. there are people out there who work on 100% pure principle. There Certainly. might not be any money in it at all. They do things out of pure principle. So, and I'm not saying that's what Jeremy's doing. I have no idea. I have no idea what libraries, you know, motivations are, but this judge- Yeah, it's not my business, he, not my company. Right, yeah. And, and, uh, and, and this judge had never, I don't think even, that nothing like that had ever crossed his mind. Interesting. So I'm glad to hear that, you know, the judge is going to sit back for a bit at least and, you know, try to educate himself on the subject. Yeah, that's impressive. I'm not going to lie. I was pretty impressed by that. I mean, this is a New Hampshire judge and, and they tend to be better than your average judge. He's a fed. He is a fed. He's yes. a fed. But, you know, he lives here. So that might be some kind of. Right. You know, bonus. Bonnie, you also attended a hearing. Was that today as well? Yeah, that was this morning, too. And this was for Frank Footloose, who has been on the show with us a couple of times. He was arrested last year, or the year before, I don't remember now. Initially, he was arrested for protesting outside the governor's house. Hmm. And then... That was January 2021. Okay. Then the federal government wanted to give New Hampshire a bribe, (laughs) and... The, the people who were supposed to, you know, the people who were authorized to make that decision said, no, so we're not taking the money. Executive Council? Yeah. And then they, they did some stuff. They reconvened and they flipped some people. I don't know exactly what the process was. And they had a hearing about whether or not they were going to accept this money, a public hearing, which was attended by a, a bunch of people. They're being called the New Hampshire Nine, I think. Yeah, Footloose was one of them. One of the ladies was one of the people arrested was arrested for saying amen following something that someone else said. And they were charged with disorderly conduct. She actually was charged with two counts of disorderly conduct, as I've learned recently. The second one for, was for saying, hey, they're arresting us. They charged her with disorderly yeah, you know, it's conduct. Funny, I that. was there for that when that happened. And it was all all those people are basically I don't want to say cop worshippers, but mm. they're basically cop worshippers. You know, yeah, like absolutely. our police and blah blah blah, and Donald J. Trump. You know. They're using he's lo- using the police. Yeah, I was always like, uh, and and the the one lady who got arrested, I can't remember her name is she's, Therese she's Grinnell. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, don't don't you know? It's not the police's fault. Let's not. I'm like, yes, it is. Yeah, yes, it is. Don't give them. Don't give them an inch. Don't give yep. them an inch. They'll take every mile from you. They're 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 operatives of the state. These people wake up every single morning. They put on their their pants and shoes and shirts just like you do. Except they decide that they're going to go attack somebody on behalf of a politician. They're, Don't give them one inch. These aren't good people. Stop pretending that they're good people. They're not. Their official language for like Rise Up New Hampshire or whichever group she I think hers is Rise Up New Hampshire. They're always putting out flags and stuff saying whenever they talk about the Noble Nine. Chris Sununu weaponized. Nine? Yes. That's what they're calling themselves? Yes. That's a bit pretentious. It is a little, but they, they keep calling themselves, I mean, they keep saying about the police that Chris Sununu weaponized the police. They are weapons. He used them yeah, for what they were they completely are. signed up for and what they, they are, actually are. They're literal tools. But to be fair, I don't think these people deserve to get arrested. It's ridiculous. That was dumb. 
And, it, was, um, it was an absolutely spurious arrest. It shouldn't have happened. I watched it happen. It was dumb. The The fact that they were getting arrested while defending the police was like... That's just insane. And then they defended the police afterward. At least I think Therese did. She came out and made a statement to the effect of, hey, you guys, you need to stop protesting the police here. They're just doing their jobs no. and they're slowing everything down yeah, or no. whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah, she came out in... <laughs> She she came out when she was getting bail and she said, like, everybody, we need to get out of here because the more we stand in here and make noise, we're making it uh, take slower for everyone else to get out. That's just what they told her yep. to get up to clear everyone out. Yep. Well, she like, lives in a world where the police would never lie to her. Yeah. Even after they they did horrible things to her that were arguably not lawful. Yep. At the very least, unconstitutional. So what happened at the hearing today? Well, for one thing, you mentioned that they said that Therese Grinnell um, said amen and that's why she got arrested. She says that she said amen after the Pledge of Allegiance. So, like, you know, the, the council did the Pledge of Allegiance. Republicans do that sort of thing a lot. Yeah. And uh, she just said amen. And and then today when the uh, prosecutor was talking about it, he was like, and then Carice, or Therese Grinnell says, Amen! like screams it and like lifts his arms in the air it was just like even if she did it's like it's not like she said amen like a million times so nobody could hear chris sununu talking or something that's like these people are such freaking slime bags it's so they are so bad the the prosecutor today the the sec dirtball i couldn't even catch his name i can't even i can't even pretend that they're people in my head sometimes i just have to pretend they don't have names they're nameless and they don't need names they're just scum they don't talk like humans i was taking so many notes because i just like i was a member of the press and i was like i'll probably just write down everything so that way if anything interesting comes up it was hard to write down the words of this prosecutor because he just talks like a lawyer like he just starts start a sentence not finish it continue on with a different thought not finish it just like it was just word salad in mm-hmm. legalese. It was, oh my God, it's so weird. They don't talk oh, like this guy humans. today, he was like throwing his thumb back over his shoulder to point at Jeremy without looking <laughs> at Jeremy and saying, the issuer of the securities, as if he's guilty already, you know, the issuer of the securities. Wow. Yeah, is it their case to determine whether or not LBC is a security? I don't I don't know. I think, I, I'm wondering if they get to, Jeremy thinks they get to declare it that way. They assert whatever they want yeah. and just hope that the judge doesn't look it up or something. Right. That's what prosecutors do. It is a mess out there. 603-283-6160 if you want to weigh in. It is Free Talk Live. Do you feel like your country no longer holds your values? Have you dreamt of a place where liberty-minded people can come together and leave government overreach behind? There are many people just like you that are discovering FreePrivateCities.com. They start at FreePrivateCities.com and connect via the social media links shown there. All skills will be needed when the first of the Free Private Cities open. It's sooner than you think. Stop arguing and build FreePrivateCities.com. FreePrivateCities.com. Free Talk Live, and you are invited to take control of the airwaves. Talk about whatever is important to you. 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. If you want to weigh in on the way that the federal government is, I mean, losing its mind over cryptocurrency. 
It's long overdue, right? But, and this is because the government takes forever to do anything. They're just now getting around to trying to sort out this Bitcoin thing. And the cryptocurrency world is already moving on to privacy coins and, you know, smart tokens, smart contracts, all of this other stuff that the the government hasn't even begun to understand because they're still trying to wrap their minds around the basics. They are too slow. It's moving too fast. It is over. It's been over with since 2011. Like that yeah. genie's out of the bottle. It's a big, powerful genie and it's not going back in that bottle. No, it certainly isn't, and they don't like it, of course. No, and I, you know, I've had this conspiracy theory that considering how in debt to China the United States is and like other countries and things, I wonder how much outside pressure is coming down on the United States government to fix these cryptocurrency people in, in, in the United States because now it's everywhere. It's not something that's going to impact the United States government. It's something that's going to impact all governments everywhere. It is going to impact the U.S. government the most, I think, because the U.S. government stands to lose the most. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have the world's reserve currency, Mm -hmm. and Bitcoin is, I mean, it's going to destroy the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar is doing a really good job of destroying itself, but Bitcoin isn't helping the situation. Bitcoin is is poised to replace the U.S. dollar. I don't know whether or not it will, but it, it is a competitor to the U.S. dollar. And right. so the federal government is doing everything they can to destroy their competitor. Mm-hmm. And and the friends of their competitors, such as the Crypto Six and Jeremy Kaufman. I'm surprised that the person running for, I think, Senate, uh, Bruce Fenton here in New Hampshire, uh, I'm, I'm surprised, since he's the creator of Ravencoin, that they're not going after him as well. Hey, you know what? It's only a matter of time. (laughs) They probably are. Who knows? You know, everybody's, well, when you've got a paranoid government, everybody's a target. Everybody's a target. And it's really easy for them because, of course, the average American apparently commits three felonies a day. I've never actually read that book. I need to read it because I'm curious, you know, what felonies people are committing on a daily basis. Is that the the title of the book? Yeah, three felonies a day. It's uh, Mm -hmm. John Stossel, right? I don't know who who wrote it. Who wrote it? But, oh, it's an, it's an, yeah. I, for some reason, I associated that with John Stossel. I don't know who wrote it. I've never actually even read it, but I'm really curious. You know, a felony is a big deal. So what what is it that Americans are doing on a daily basis that re- would result in three felonies? But at the federal, the point is that the federal government wants to target you and charge you with something. They can. They, they can. They're going to find yeah, something. Th- there's, a, there's a body of law in the United States. It's like if you stacked thin slices of paper, you know, sheets of paper on top of each other, go like halfway to the moon. It's like impossible to follow all the law. Mm-hmm. You yeah. can't follow the law. No, it, like the IRS tax code is one of the worst examples. It's something, yeah. I, I don't even remember now. Was it, was it 90,000 pages or Insane. something to that effect? That's nuts. Yeah, absolutely incomprehensible for any human being to be compliant with a 90,000 page code. Well, good thing it's optional. <laughs> don't I, tell them that, though, the, because... The, 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 they are heavily invested in... Yeah, they're religious know. about it. The, the government is, if you sit back and really look at it, the government is just one huge religion. Mm-hmm. It's a oh, yeah. cult, and they have... That's why Republicans say amen after the prayer. They're the most clued into it, and they don't even see their own idolatry. But yeah. what they're doing, God hates them, and he's going to send them to hell according to their own religious beliefs, because they're committing idolatry every single day. Yeah. I- I'm always telling my parents, like, the Bible says you, can, you can't you can worship two gods. You can't worship God and money. But that's just the examples he gives. Um, you can't worship the government and money. And my parents are always like, ha, 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 ha. You know, we don't worship the government. We worship God. But they God. do. They yeah, do and worship I, and I the see, government. You know, when I'm sitting in those courtrooms and I'm looking at the, 
the guy in the black robe up there. That black robe, that black. While you're sitting in a pew. And you're sitting in a pew, and there's like signs of power everywhere, and you know. Emblems, they've got their chants, they've got their songs, their rituals, all of it. They do, they do. And it's just everywhere. And they believe in it. They Did are they? experts at it. They're so well versed in it. It's like you know, bumping into it like a Jesus freak on the on the street. They know every chapter and verse in the Bible, or you know, certain Muslims know every single word in the Quran. These religious people know every single word in like the, the these judges and lawyers can cite case law going back to like the eighteen hundreds, the seventeen hundreds, and stuff. Like they know it. They know the specific words that were used and how the words right. were arranged in the sentence because that's important to them. You know, I mean, so. I watched a judge tell Arya, um, "Sir, in the in the camisole or whatever he said, maybe that's just what I would call it in the tank top. Um, that what are you wearing? That's not the sort of thing somebody wears in here. I was literally like my jaw was on the floor because yeah, I was stunned. I did not expect that at all. I mean, first of all, he called you sir was just like ridiculous. But the thing that was so shocking to me is like somebody just expecting that they can tell somebody what to wear because we're in a thing paid for by our taxes. Like he really believes that yeah. when when you're in his courtroom, you're in his that's not, country. That's not Arya's Sunday best for his church. Yep. I mean, that that's what was the point I was trying to get that's at. That's literally like the church, same exact psychology driving it. Yep. What, what, what I found recent was in a recent hearing that this judge did, he cited the court doesn't like this or something to that effect. Like, he literally views himself as the court. As the court. Yeah. It's, he has ceased to be an individual and he has become part of this greater entity that, that he alone commands and yeah. can speak for. It's religious it's through It's mythology through. to the core. And they are adherence of it that's why individualism runs so counter to it because it forces them to to step back around oh i'm i'm not this non-existent entity called quote the court or the united states of america i'm a judge i'm a human being i'm a person dave anderson yes (laughs) that's why it's so important to you know remember that these rulers the these judges prosecutors politicians all of them are just ordinary individuals. Mm-hmm. They're caught up in this religion, but that has no more re- reality to me. It has no more meaning to me than a priest saying, I speak for God. That's mm, essentially... Not at all. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I, I, don't, I don't think they do. They don't. But, you know, that that's coming up in November, and that's going to be... Uh, it's going to be fun, regardless of what the results are. So... I'm not the only one having fun, though. Footloose, uh, he was yelling at a judge today. You mentioned earlier something about a CO2 monitor yeah. that got installed yeah, Tell us about in this that, courtroom. Bonnie. I need to hear all about that. That's what I really wanted to get into. The actual details of the uh, day of the, of the hearing weren't that interesting. There was one lady of the nine. Now it's the eight because one lady got her charges dropped because they revealed this lady named Monica. I don't know her last name. She was only arrested because they mixed her up with another person in the crowd. So, I sure hope it wasn't Zamora. I don't know her. No, it's not Zamora. Monica <laughs> Zamora is the judge that David from New Mexico is obsessed with. Oh, yeah, yeah. Over. I was like, that so, sounded yeah. familiar for some reason. Okay, but yeah. So, so Monica, they arrested the wrong person? They arrested the wrong person in October 13th, 2021. So just now they finally dropped the person who got arrested incorrectly is charges. Nine months later, they yep. finally dropped the charges? Yep. You I'm know. surprised she didn't take a plea deal. I mean, <laughs> that's what most people do. 
right? And then I don't mm-hmm. think they've gotten to that yet because they they took so long just to give these people their charges. They didn't give them the pink slips when they got out of jail. They had to think up how they were going to say that they're charging these people for no reason. Yeah, they're scumbags for sure. Bad. Well. The actual details of the case didn't get much more interesting than that. What I wanted to talk about was the fact that this was, it was a packed court, but there could have been more, there, there could have been a few more people in there. There was nobody sure. standing there. You're allowed to have people standing and nobody was standing uh, this day. So it could have been way more packed. It was, you know, silent. I was sitting there taking notes on my phone. Uh, you know, everybody in the, that was listening was silent. I mean, Frank wasn't silent, but he is always doing that. And they understand because he has a, uh, con- long, it's called like post concussion syndrome or something like that, and it's basically like he almost has like Tourette's. Like he just starts if something pisses him off, he can't just be like, "Oh, I shouldn't talk in this situation." He'll start yelling at the judge. And the fact that I'm desensitized <laughs> to that is so New Hampshire and so crazy because like all day he's like, "Listen, you're effing, you know, you're effing stepping stepping on my rights. This is messing up my due process." You know, just screaming at the judge, and the judge just has to be like, "Frank, we will get to you, Frank." <laughs> There's more coming up. It is Free Talk Live. I gotta hit again. It is Free Talk Live, and you're invited to join us, 603-283-6160, if you would like to weigh in, that's 603-283-6160. With you tonight, it's Aria. It's Bonnie. And Ian. And it may seem to people like, man, people in New Hampshire get harassed by police a lot, or constantly getting arrested or charged in federal court or whatever, and I understand why it seems that way. Because people in New Hampshire are actively resisting the state. It is the Free State Project, and we, you, know, you have to resist the state if you want to make any progress toward freedom. Plus, a lot of people, they become you know friendly with us because they got arrested, and then they found you know other people who were like supported them because they realized it wasn't right. I don't think people get arrested in New Hampshire any more often than anywhere else. I mean, the state's blood, uh, as far as its lifeblood of the court system, is uh, people are being arrested for victimless crimes, and that right. happens everywhere, all the time. Every court, every jurisdiction is packed full of innocent, peaceful people who've never harmed another person that get found guilty or plead guilty in probably 90% plus percent of the cases and then the court just rings the cash register and collects god knows how many thousands of dollars every single morning whenever they're in session all across the country the only right. thing that's different here is as you point out aria we have activists who are not going to take a plea they are going to go to trial they are going to refuse to pay uh the fines if they're issued they are going to be essentially uh, you know they're going to be a stick in the gears of uh, of the system as much as possible and of course we're part of that we're not just reporting on things here in new ha- in new hampshire in many ca- cases we are the ones being targeted we are some of those activists or we're there yeah. supporting our activist friends yeah. and that's uh yeah i think it was uh, michael harrison of talkers magazine who described free talk live as a sort of a reality show in some ways because we're, <laughs> we're actually out there really doing the things we talk about and none of us from the show, we're on trial today or anything, but five, yeah, five hosts from this show were at court today. So five of us were out, you know, supporting people because we're actually interested in Yeah, Joe and Matt went to federal in, court and, and you and I were, oh, Penguin was there. So five. And, and you and I were at, uh, that's sort of district. what I was getting at though, is that, you know, um, it, 
it's to people who aren't familiar with New Hampshire and they're just listening to you know the the show or whatever. They oh my god, these people in New Hampshire are constantly getting arrested and they're constantly talking about it on this show and they know all these people who are being arrested, but. It's really not. We do know a lot of these people who are being arrested, but that's because yeah, and not we a lot of them are a criminal who deserves any time behind bars. They're all peaceful activists, right? Like the three who were arrested in Manchester during COVID nineteen for the dastardly crime of putting up stickers. Oh yeah, those mm-hmm. charges got dropped. That, that's the kind of stuff that we, you know happens in New Hampshire all the time, and because there are activists who resist them instead of taking plea deals, they end up getting the charges dropped more often than in not. In a lot of cases, yeah. Uh, can we talk about this ridiculousness in the court today with the CO2 meter? Yeah, apparently this courtroom has a CO2 meter for whatever reason. But meanwhile, the judge and the prosecutors are wearing face masks <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in July. And I realize oh, New yeah. Hampshire is a little chilly, but it's July. Uh, it ain't chilly today. It was, it, was in the, today. it was in the 90s today. Yeah, I can't imagine the, the self-oppression that is wearing a mask in this sort of weather. Well, we're all from the South, and we can, mm. we can say that it's actually hot today. Oh, yeah, it's brutal today. So in the middle of what this boring you know, hearing on a motion to dismiss, an alarm starts going off on the side of the room. And and by the way, everybody was being uh, quiet. Nobody was being disorderly. No, they weren't. Remotely. Everybody was being, you know, well behaved. And so this alarm starts going off and the judge halts the hearing and says, everybody has to get out of the courtroom. There's a CO2 issue here. The alarm, our sensor is going off. It is a danger uh, to your health. To stay in this room or whatever. And this thing wasn't just in the corner of the room. Like sometimes you see those things in hotels and stuff uh, plugged into the wall in the corner of like a lobby. This thing was set up on like the TV stand, right? That's what it, it looked like. was over by that, yeah. Like there's a TV stand where you can see people doing their Zoom meetings. They had it set up there uh, right next to like, uh, it's still on the side of the judge and everything, like their side, but close to the pews. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, they purposely put it up. I think it was purposely that they put it up where it could sense people breathing from the pews. It's not a normal place to put a CO2 monitor. Well, I don't know what a normal place to put a CO2 monitor is, but it was pretty clear clear to me that this device had been put into this courtroom because they know that this particular hearing, the set of hearings, because this isn't Kangaroo the first hearing court. for this, uh, this group of people. This was, you know, there have been other right. hearings prior to this, and they've all been packed full of people. Like, as Bonnie put it earlier, some of them in the past have been standing room only. This one was close to that. It was very, very full. Almost every seat was, was completely full. But in previous hearings, there's been no CO2 alarm that has gone off. So right. I'm almost certain this was a brand new device that was put in recently. And it's just a little portable thing that they, One bailiff they set said up there. they put it in a week ago. One bailiff claimed it was a week ago. Another bailiff claimed it was last August. Uh, so about a year ago. And I don't, I don't believe him for a moment. Yeah, he's but, the worst. But uh, well, I don't know. So I don't know you saw the numbers that we're reading, right? Or you? I did. Yeah, I mm-hmm. looked over. What at were it. they? It was over a thousand parts uh, parts per million. Yeah, because I looked it up, and you know, it's considered ten thousand parts per mi- million is considered safe for an eight. I hour- looked it up, and I saw that five thousand was considered dangerous. So I don't know. Maybe there's a variety of uh, answers. Well, I'm out looking there. for some reason at the Minnesota Department of Health. That was okay. the one that came up. 
And they say for an eight-hour period, it should not exceed 10,000 parts per million. It wasn't even close to that, then. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, How do we know what... All it did was beep. It didn't mm-hmm. say, like, evacuate, evacuate, well, no, or anything just, like... It's designed to go off at a certain number so once we, it crosses a number. For all we know, they just set it up for go off once it crosses this that's number. That's what they did. Like, yep. like, that doesn't mean that that crossing means anything. does not mean it's anything. No, like, no they, it doesn't. They could have changed the setting, like the setting yes. could have like been normally at ten thousand, but they mm-hmm. changed it to one thousand. That's correct. Yep. Uh, I don't know if it was a thousand or fifty, you know, ten fifty. I'm not sure where the the actual provision, the number was where it went off. So anyway, the judge clears the courtroom of all of the people who were watching this trial or this hearing it wasn't a trial, but uh, with the exception of the nine defendants, the attorneys, and the media. Which included me and Bonnie. So we were we stayed seat, uh, seated and everybody else left with the exception of the defendants and the attorneys. And it was absolutely ridiculous. This woman kept people out of a public hearing and used the justification that, oh, well, we'll open the doors. So they, they propped open the doors to the courtroom and then they resumed having the hearing with uh, whatever 90 or 100 people it was outside of the courtroom you could barely hear this hearing if you're sitting in the pews yeah these people were wearing half of them were wearing masks you couldn't hear what the judge was saying half the time so there was no way you would be able to hear anything from standing out in the hallway and when frank and said at one point you know out of turn he goes that you're keeping people out of a public hearing she was like well we have the doors open and and she also said also Does that mean they, they're free to come back in? No. No, that they could hear from the hallway. That's mm. what she was acting like. And no, that was impossible. One woman actually did come in after the hearing was going for a little while with the courtroom almost she was just empty. Done with it and just came back in. Yeah, a woman comes in and tries to address the judge. And people judges don't like it when you're not part of the hearing and you start talking to them. They really hate that. And so this judge lost almost lost it i mean that's ballsy she was like red the judge it's known that judges don't like that sort of thing right Mm -hmm. and all this woman was asking was can we basically come back into the court and the judge started going off on her threatening to reschedule the whole thing she gets up calls a recess and storms out of the room Mm -hmm. for a while and then eventually came back in and could not understand why it wasn't okay to just have people out in the hallway from a public public hearing. She kept and- saying they can call in because you can do that now because of COVID crap. But the person that had to be on the phone because she's one of the nine, but they live in Florida, kept telling them, we can't hear anything. We can't hear anything. You know, right. we can't hear anything. And they were just like, whatever, we have to proceed. But yet she was trying to say, oh, all of the public can call in and it's going to be fine. Right. What that would was have the never number? worked. They never gave the number to anybody. How would True. you have found the number to call in? So it would have been pointless. You couldn't absurd. hear anything. Yeah, you couldn't hear anything if you called in anyway. So this, so at some point, finally, after she was just refusing to understand why she was violating people's right to uh, this public hearing, something the attorney said, I guess, persuaded her like, hey, why don't we try letting people back in and prop the doors open and maybe that'll take care yeah, of Yeah, that the- wasn't the first thing she tried you know like the the doors were shut at at the beginning i don't think that it was unsafe but if it was unsafe the first thing you should have tried was to prop the doors open you know get some air flowing in here it's just people breathing it was not more people than i've seen in churches i've never seen a church get uh, evacuated because there was a packed uh, sanctuary it was was, less the whole thing's absurd and you know it's probably completely unscientific but regardless she did relent finally 
and allowed people to come back into the courtroom, prop the doors open, and at that point, the uh, CO2 meter sort of stabilized at around 920 for the rest of the the hearing. But she said she was going to, if it went off again, or if there were any other disruptions, she was going to put call a uh, cancellation to the hearing and reschedule it. That definitely seems a bit excessive. What are your thoughts about this CO2 monitor being used as an excuse to keep people out of the hearing? 603-283-6160. Free Talk Live's video archives have been on Library for years. Library is an uncensorable, decentralized, blockchain-based media sharing protocol, and we're big fans of it here on Free Talk Live. In 2020, Library launched Odyssey, a video sharing website to compete with YouTube, and it's really taking off, now with over 1 million channels, many of whom are disaffected YouTube creators. During YouTube's crackdown for not towing the government line on COVID, the Free Talk Live YouTube channel started receiving strikes and could be completely taken down at any moment. Thankfully, Odyssey started offering live streaming, so we're now streaming live every night and posting our video archives permanently to Odyssey. You can watch live or anytime on our Odyssey channel by visiting video.freetalklive.com. If you want to go all in, download the desktop app at lbry.com, and then every video archive you watch, you'll help seed and keep it online forever. At minimum, we ask you visit video.freetalklive.com and follow us on Odyssey today. Video.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live, where you're invited to take control of the airwaves and talk about whatever is on your mind. 603-283-6160 if you would like to weigh in. Give me the number 603-283-6160. With you tonight is Aria, Bonnie, and Ian. And... We've been talking about judges and cases developing here in New Hampshire. Of course, we'll continue updating you as we get information about those. I've been watching the Jeremy. I didn't realize he had a hearing today. I somehow missed that. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't have been able to go anyway because of other things I had to deal with. You're talking about Jeremy Kaufman from library? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, It wasn't technically he that had the hearing. He's just the CEO of library. So he was the one sitting there. But uh, other things are happening in the world for anarchists and libertarians. And one of those things is the HBO series Anarchists. And I haven't seen it yet, but evidently uh, other people are. um, I knew as soon as I heard about it that the ANCOMs would go into attack mode. That's the anarcho-communists, right? Because this happened to me when I ran for sheriff. If you're not an anarcho-communist and you call yourself an anarchist, they get really, really, really upset. Oh, God. Because they think that anarchy means there is no hierarchy. And, you know, in a voluntarist society, there could absolutely be a, a voluntary hierarchy. There's nothing within anarchism that prevents it. But to them, no, any, any hierarchy, a private employee-employer relationship is a violation of the principles of anarchy. Then who decides how to redistribute the wealth? Is that not a ruler? I mean, is that not a hierarchy? Who gets to be the person deciding how to but redistribute the wealth? Don't the, the we- well, want a government? After they get rid of this government? The ANCOMs don't. Really? Well, okay. they want... I, I, I don't know did. what magical... To money. <laughs> well, I mean, and I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt that, sure, you, you could collect, you know, 10,000 anarcho-communists together, and they can have their little society, and it can, they can all be equal, and it can work just fine. I'm willing to give them that benefit of the doubt, but I'm also going to extend them the courtesy of allowing them to call themselves anarchists, because I don't see any reason why not. They don't allow that same... Uh, 
that same whatever word I'm looking for. Courtesy. Thank you to anarcho capitalists. And you know, this was ninety percent of the comments I got when I did the AMA, the Ask Me Anything on Reddit, was from pissed off anarcho communists who were Mm. upset that I dared call myself an anarchist. So I knew when this series came out, and it was just called the anarchists and not the anarcho capitalists or whatever these people would have rather, or or the capitalists as some of the really bad leftist memes are alleging. Mm I knew that they were going to get flack for that. And evidently they didn't. But it's been a learning experience. Is that one of the criticisms you have? Uh, You have an article here about someone who's taking shots at the anarchists. Um, So the article is written by Etienne de la Boisie Squared, who's, uh, you may know as Howard. He's attended multiple Porcupine Freedom Festivals. I don't know if he's been to Forkfest offhand. If I showed you his picture, you'd probably recognize him. He wrote a... Uh, book that is very very you know against the government he's a i consider him to be a you know a good guy but in this particular case he seems to be uh pretty critical of the anarchists and the people that they selected to jealous it sounds like jealousy i don't know if he's jealous i mean he hasn't been interviewed in the uh in the series yet but i have seen him appear like he's been on on the side of some of the shots um, so I, I can't say for sure if that's what's going on here. I think he he believes that this is essentially part of the uh, well, I'll just give you the subheadline here. The anarchist is HBO trying to chump their audience about anarchy. It exposes how the organized crime CIA and monopoly media control perception using propaganda engineered, quote unquote, reality and controlled opposition media to, quote, steer and smear, unquote, political movements. So he believes that was a lot of words. He believes the anarchist is a government uh, controlled attack on anarchists. He's attacking the documentary. He's not attacking the people, right? He's not attacking both. He's attacking the people that they've chosen to interview in this uh, documentary series and the people who produced it's, it. That's just ridiculous to say that these people that have been shown so far are not anarchists. I mean, I don't even care what a anarcho-communist says because they're such a small little piece of the population. There's obvi- There has to be way more of them than there are just like regular anarchists. Um, well, that isn't what this guy is alleging, right? He's not saying they're not really anarchists or whatever. He's just oh, that's saying- what I was asking. It sounds like he's just saying, you know, they picked bad anarchists to interview. That's what I believe he is saying. Bad in what way? Like, not anarchists? Well, I have to get into it. Um, I mean, basically that, you know, pick the wrong anarchists to interview. Pick the ones that would make anarchism, in his opinion, look bad. Oh, they could have done us. Mainstream <laughs> media. <laughs> I mean, uh, we well, do a good job of that. Yet. It's not over yet. I mean, there's four more uh, episodes. They may actually talk to Free Talk Live. I think we were interviewed by them, but it's been years since I was at this event, so I can't say for sure. Hmm. Uh, so do you want to hear this story? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it's from his substack, artofliberty.substack.com. I'm not reading this because I agree with it, by the way, and I will have right. my cr- criticisms of it. But it's the first criticism of the anarchists that I've seen about this new documentary by a purported uh, anarchist. So uh, Etienne de la Boise Squared, he writes, there's a new propaganda series from HBO on the Anarchapulco conference that is held every February in Acapulco, Mexico. He says, I've been an attendee since the initial conference in 2015 and have only missed 2017, 2021, and 2022. Although in 2022, I attended and spoke at the anti-Anarchapulco conference called Agorapulco, which is held at the same time in Acapulco by and for those who have figured out the scam of Anarchapulco. Mm-hmm. My book, Government, the Biggest Scam in History Exposed, was the best-selling book at Anarchapulco in 2018, 2019, and 2020. And indeed, that's mm-hmm. where I met Howard. I'm sorry about just saying the best-selling book at a festival is, like, not really a, a term. 
I mean, it, how many books book. were sold? Like ten. It, it sounds like he's fairly salty about not having a more prominent role. That, that's me speculating, but that's what it sounds like. He's like, I was this influential figure, and then I realized it was a scam, and I started my own thing, and they didn't interview me. Hmm. Well, one thing that I was telling Bonnie about uh, after this recent episode, there's been two of the six episodes that have been released thus far, is that anytime you put together an event... If it gets large enough, somebody's going to have some butt hurt about it. Oh There's, yeah, it, you know, in the in the they've been documenting Anarchapulco year after year. So now we're up to I think in the last episode 2017. So they looked at 2015, 2016 in the first episode, and now 2017. And they said they had 600 people attend that year. That's a that's a decent size festival for a con, you know convention yeah. uh, event. And I said, you know, if you've got 600 people showing up for an event, at least six of them are going to be really upset about something. They they didn't like the way the person who took their tickets looked at them or they didn't like that such and such was invited to speak. But so and so wasn't invited to speak. And there's always going to be somebody who just, you know, has a falling out with maybe they did like the event, but then they had a falling out with the event organizer over some perceived uh, wrong that that was committed and they aren't willing to forgive and they don't want to talk about it and they're going to go start their own event. Which is fine. And in fact, that sure. was something they focused on in the recent episode was that uh, there's this hippie couple that had moved there. They were arrested uh, in the United States for marijuana. And then they rather than go to court, they went ahead and ran to Mexico and started a new life down there. And they didn't like Anarchapulco. They thought it yeah. wasn't anarchist enough. I thought wow. their um, criticisms were so ridiculous in the I mean, I've never been to in Arcapulco, but they showed it in the first episode. Um, they were saying it was these people were we we were afraid that we wouldn't be anarchist enough, and then we got there and we were the only real anarchists. And the people up on stage were, uh, you know, they were only as anarchist as stuff you'd find on YouTube. It wasn't good enough for us when they got to go for free. It was just really ridiculous. It was. It was. I didn't like the comparisons to Fork Fest and Pork Fest because nobody started. No one started Forkfest just because they were like, "Ugh, the speakers sucked this year at Porkfest." It was more like, "Oh, you guys have Porkfest cops." Anyways, that well, was I mean, why everybody that has conversation their reasons came up. for starting another event, and yeah. some people had different reasons for going to Forkfest than others. Some people were really upset about the Free State Project. I personally wasn't, but a lot of people were. So they're I don't know if you less, can say that they were all less uh, silly reasons. But you don't know you I'm weren't saying. there. Well, from what, the people that have started it. You mean there were a few fest? dozen people that were there. I'm sure they all had different differing reasons for it. I, I would say that some people were really salty uh, when it came to the Porcupine Freedom Festival. I mean, and I would this, say that's a less that. uh, silly reason than I didn't like the speakers this year. They were like, oh, I don't like the for- uh, Porcupine Freedom Festival. Well, I think they, they also didn't out. like the way it was in the case of Anarchapulco. They didn't like the way it was being organized. They thought it was too centralized. And so they started something called Anarchaforco. And <laughs> nice. they started their own event. And I think that's great. Yeah, and, that's absolutely. and it was do. after Forkfest. I mean, that's, that's the way to solve these sorts of problems. If you don't like it, go do your own thing. Right. And, and maybe you'll like that. 603-283-6160. Have you seen The Anarchists on HBO? Especially if you're not a libertarian, I want to hear your opinions. Yeah. There's more coming up. It is Free Talk Live. It 
is Free Talk Live, where you're invited to take control of the airwaves, share your thoughts and opinions, especially if you've seen The Anarchists on HBO and you're not a libertarian. I'm trying to get some of my non-libertarian friends to watch it, but since they're not libertarians, they're not particularly inclined to watch a documentary about anarchists in the first place, no matter how mm-hmm. dra- dramatized it is. And I'm sure it's you know plenty dramatized. I mean, Well, were- you know there's plenty of drama between uh, libertarians and anarchists, just like any other group of humans. Yep. When you put several hundred people in the same place, turns out not all of them are going to get along. I mean, plus this one had a murder in it. So, I mean, it's, yeah. it's got plenty of room for them to dramatize the, the oh, facts yeah. a bit. So I, I'm sure it's entertaining. But I think I, it's been pretty interesting. I'm struggling to get any of my non-libertarian friends to watch it. They, watch they, it with you? No, just to watch it at all. Oh. I mean, they're, they're the opinions that I want to hear from. Because I know anarchists and libertarians are going to love it. With the exception of this guy, right? You know, it's it's free marketing for for libertarianism. Well, that's why I thought this was an interesting article. Because when I first heard about this documentary series... What I heard about was that, oh, well, the guys who produced this are anarchists, and when they were doing a deal with HBO, they managed to get the agreement with HBO to where HBO wasn't going to meddle, basically. That was the claim with this, was that the editing, the storyline, the writing, everything was being done by the people who were involved in the shooting of it, and and that they are supposedly anarchists themselves, so therefore, this should be a good thing, meaning that it wasn't being interfered with by people from the outside if that's true right and And from what i've heard that's largely been how people have interpreted it i feel like that's the case so far this guy disagrees the the guy we're reading here uh etienne de la bossy squared which is a pen name uh he disagrees he thinks this is a completely controlled operation from like the cia or whatever so you know what's is the truth somewhere in between is he completely right uh, we got more to he's got more to say i don't know why the cia would bother with anarcho-polco i mean it is a thing and it you know it has had its successors and i don't mean to suggest that it hasn't but if if the feds want to target a successful liberty migration New Hampshire is the place they're going to target. Well, uh, and you may be, that may be a good counter to what he's saying here. I think that his argument would be that this is to make anarchists look bad. But that's the whole point of this. Anarchists this don't need the government's help in doing that. I say this as an anarchist. We, do, we make ourselves look bad without any assistance from the government. Uh, shall I continue? Yeah, absolutely. So he talks about his history at Anarchapulco having attended on multiple years. He sold his book there. Uh, he says he was a speaker He's in 2019. He's a bestseller, selling book. <laughs> For he, several years in a row. He was a speaker in 2019 and a main stage speaker in 2020 where uh, somebody uh, said that his speech burned the house down. His foundation threw one of the biggest and coolest parties of the conference uh, which has drawn many as 300 attendees to their fundraiser for their favorite turtle sanctuary in Acapulco, which I we, attended one of those. It was pretty cool. We have to review this. So far, he said, <laughs> my book was the best-selling book at a conference of 600 people. He said, my party was the coolest party. And he said, one person told me my speech burned the house down. Well, just just looking author. at this person's persona- personality. So the, far. the Porcupine Freedom Festival that I just attended in late June of last month, I, mm-hmm. I suppose about a month ago, it it had a crowd of between 2,500 and 3,500 people, depending on who, yeah. how you're counting and who you're counting. Uh, to my knowledge, there was only one person there selling his books. Alu. Alu. 
So he was, by definition, the best-selling author at the to... Porcupine Freedom Festival, and he may have only sold one or two. I think he sold more than that. Oh, he sold a lot because he was telling us he... But yeah, I see what you're saying. If he only sold one or two, he'd be the best-seller. Yeah. I don't want to attack uh, Howard. I, I like him personally. He's been a co-host, uh, a guest co-host here on, on Free Talk Live. Um, I'm just being... A realist about what he's written. He does sound really salty. He's like, I, I'm a mover and shaker, and they ignored me. Uh, and, and you know, maybe he's controlled opposition. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know, but uh, he's definitely driving a wedge between people in the in this particular event. But maybe they did something to har- you know offend him. I don't know. Uh, he says, I don't think there's another attendee and or speaker better positioned to pull the curtain back on the scam of Anarchapulco and the HBO documentary series The Anarchists and expose how the CIA steers political movements while their control of perception Hollywood propagandists create quote-unquote reality television in an attempt to trick their audiences by controlling the information they receive on a given topic, i.e. voluntarism slash peaceful anarchy, the most powerful political movement in the world, because anarchists are exposing the illegitimacy and criminality of, quote, government. I'm unquote. a little confused. Who is he calling the Hollywood actors or something? I don't think he's saying anything about actors. He's talking about Hollywood. Hollywood infiltrated propagandists. Who, who is that? HBO in this HBO. case. HBO, okay. Uh, so here's a quote from the mighty Wurlitzer. It is very unclear what this guy is asserting is the problem exactly. Uh, he's saying this is a controlled documentary series for the purposes of undermining the anarchist but movement. But for some reason that sentence made me think that he was saying like, of course, they chose this group of people because they'll go along with it. It's like, how is choosing this group of people to look at worse than choosing another group of people if it's HBO's fault, right? I'm not sure I understand the question. If, if HBO did a, according to this guy, if HBO came and did a documentary about anarchists here, it should have the same effect, right? So why is he saying it's this group of people's fault? Um, I'm sure they would also, if it was indeed what he's saying, they would also try to, you know, black mark us and make us look bad if they chose this this particular group. As you know, if if indeed this is an attack on anarchism and it's okay, you know, so what it is that he says. Then it what is. you're saying is he's saying that the, the HBO people are trying to make these people look bad. So he's not trying to say these people are bad anarchists and bad. He's going to say right? that later too. Okay, then what? I don't That's, even get how say he can both say that. Of those. He's going those, to say those he's going to say that they chose these particular people to look at because they make anarchy look bad. Okay. Uh, quote, I believe the anarcho-polka, this is a quote from somebody else, a book called The Mighty Wurlitzer, How the CIA Played America. Quote, I believe the anarcho-polka conference is an intelligence agency organized crime operation to steer the modern peaceful anarchist, voluntarist, anarcho-capitalist, and crypto-anarchist movements into drugs, controlled opposition, voices slash media operations, unintelligible, unwholesome, or controlled artists, infighting, etc., while smearing slash tarring the movement through association with con men, drug dealers, and murder while stealing the oxygen from legitimate liberty movement conferences, artists, and authentic voices. The operation is very similar to the now-admitted CIA's creation slash promotion of admitted CIA asset Gloria Steinem and Ms. Magazine to steer the agency-created and controlled feminist movement. So that's the claim. That's a hell of an accusation, and it would have more weight if I knew any anarchists who agreed with him. But all of the libertarians and anarchists I know who have seen this show, including some of the people who were in it. They've been liking it. Have, have enjoyed it. They were like, yes, this is giving us a fair shake. That's what I was thinking the whole time you were reading that. I was like, it doesn't make these people look like a bunch of drug pin, you know, 
horrible but people. From, so far, I mean, we're only on episode two. I get where you guys are coming from, but if you were to look at from the outside perspective, then I can see the argument. Because they are talking about people who sold marijuana, and to somebody who thinks that's bad... It'll make anarchists look like drug dealers. Well, right? to somebody who thinks like that, the word anarchist is is the, all they need to hear. No doubt. So it doesn't really no matter. Uh, you can't really make people look like something they're not. Make you know, them look like, you know. And I think he's going to make this point uh, as well, like focusing on Jeff Berwick, which is the he's the main character in this particular series. I mean, Jeff Berwick is at least at one time was uh, kind of this womanizing drunk, right? Like he's sure he's not, uh, and he's been accused, whether it's true or not, he's been accused of all of these various different uh, financial scams, which haven't been brought up yet in this series, but that may be coming too. So anyway, there's more. Do you think this is controlled opposition? Six zero three two eight three six one six zero. It is free talk live. It is Free Talk Live, and you're invited to share your thoughts and opinions, 603-283-6160, if you'd like to do that. With you in the studio tonight, it's Aria. It's Bonnie. And Ian. And we're talking about the anarchists here, and whether or not it's controlled opposition by the CIA. Of course, people in the YouTube chat, the troll chat as I like to think of it, are alleging that Free Talk Live seems like controlled opposition, because, you know, (laughs) that makes sense with, you know, Three of its co-hosts, you know, being arrested, its creator and founder being arrested and charged in a federal indictment. Yes, that's very much what you would expect the federal government to do with their control. That's how deep opposition. cover we actually are. <laughs> we're so deep cover that the feds don't even know that we're also feds. So that's some that's some effective cover <laughs> for sure. I mean, we're we're so good at it that we helped people achieve. Liberty? It's unclear why exactly we would be controlled opposition. And it's unclear to me why the anarchists would be controlled opposition. But before we get back into it, let's go to the phones. We have Dave Ridley on the line from RidleyReport.com. Dave, you're on Free Talk Live. I think Dave Ridley is controlled opposition. (laughs) Well, he's not doing a very good job of hurting libertarianism in New Hampshire. That's for sure. He's, He's aiding and helping libertarianism in New Hampshire. I'm getting them concentrated all into one place where they can be rounded up. Oh, my God. Okay, don't say that. One, one place that's only 150 miles tall. Is that really how, okay, so, is that really how right. the length uh, of New Hampshire? Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Ooh, I think, I mean, north-south is roughly. I don't yeah. Exactly. Okay. Uh, but, uh, okay, so uh, uh, I, I, was, I was doing up a... Uh, uh, a, a summary, not, not, not exactly a summary, but just some, some information for the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance for the Liberty Dinner, which is coming up on Saturday uh, in New Hampshire. And the um, uh, I, while, I, while I was looking, you know, for some legislative successes, and while I'm in the process of looking, uh, my my jaw just hits the floor because I found uh, a legislative failure that is very interesting. Hmm. Um, and there are a lot of, obviously, the NHLA has a lot. They get a lot of things through, and they stop a lot of stuff. But there's one thing that they weren't able to stop, and they tried. They had, you know, it was on their gold standard that they hand out at the door to the Senate, you know, when the Senate's in session. Uh, oh, that is, a flyer. for those who don't know, that's a, a flyer that tells representatives and senators how they should vote if they value liberty. That's right. Hmm. Yeah. So, like, vote so, yes on this out, and no on this or whatever right. from a libertarian perspective. Anyhow, the, the state government decided to pass this legislation 
restricting telehealth. Hmm. What is telehealth? It's a severe, it is a severe restriction. Um, the, uh, or at least as I read it, I read the bill. The, um, I read part of it anyway. The um, uh, te- telehealth? Yeah, what is it? So, yeah, I mean, it's just like when you, when you go to your doctor via phone, uh, via Skype or whatever. Okay. And what's the restriction? Uh, so they're saying that out-of-state providers are not allowed to provide telehealth to New Hampshire residents. Huh. Uh, in New Hampshire, in, unless they come to New Hampshire or whatever, or fill out all this paperwork inside New Hampshire, become like a licensed New Hampshire medical provider. That's basically. stupid. Wow. That's crazy. So, like I have a new doctor I mean, now, but a year ago I was using this entirely online doctor system. It's kind of funny that the doctor system that I was using online was through an app, and it was the exact opposite of what I get with the doctors I have now. Like this was, you're in and out. They they don't spend any time getting to know you or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But it was all online. They had no offices or anything like that, and it worked. It was convenient. How could mm-hmm. they even control that? Those people don't live here, so they can't like they're not going to extradite them to yeah, charge them criminally. In Hawaii have to come to New Hampshire and get like what if they just have one du- patient that I mean they're just not going to do that. Yeah, I, I don't know how they would enforce something like that. There is a, re- a provision in there that like there is certain consultation that is allowed uh, by 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 telephone or by tele whatever uh, from outside the state. Uh, it's not a blanket prohibition, hmm. but it's definitely, I'm, I'm sure it's going to have a chilling effect. And it's just like one of those things where you had to take the one thing that got better during the hmm. pandemic, and that's what you had to, to smash down. Damn. Yeah, it opened up a lot of options for people, right, who, you know, don't want to go wait in a doctor's office for three hours to spend five minutes in the, to spend an additional hour in the actual appointment room waiting on the doctor and then spending five minutes with that doctor. It turned doctor business into something that took like 15, 20 minutes of your time. And it opened up yeah. the, it opened up competition, right? In, instead of having to select from, you know, 10 doctors here in Keene, New Hampshire, almost all of which are affiliated with Cheshire Dartmouth. Mm. Mm. The you, hospital. Yeah. So I think what, what will happen is that people who know about this, they're just going to, they're just going to call their provider, you know, if their providers in Massachusetts or something like that, which is very common for New Hampshireites. Uh, they're just going to tell them, Oh yeah, I'm uh I'm in Lowell, and I can't make it down to Shrewsbury. <laughs> Those are Massachusetts <laughs> towns. Something like that. So I'm, so I'm calling you by telehealth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the fact is, we're still not in control here, right? Like, the free staters are still a tenth of the uh, the legislature. They've got 40 or 50 seats, according to the Democrats who've been investigating uh, those things. And so that's not enough to be a majority. It's uh, we got a ways to go before that's going to happen, and that means there's going to be some losses along the way, and you found one. Yeah, thank you so much for the call oh, tonight, Dave. Before I- Dave goes, uh, did he say he's going to be at the Saturday thing? Did he say he's giving a speech? He said he was doing research. Oh, no, oh. I, won't, I won't be there. I was just going to do a little write-up to help them with their flyer. Oh, okay. Oh, I thought cool. you were saying you were doing it for a speech. Sorry. Okay, yeah, that's speaking all. Of which, if, yeah, speaking of which, if you know, uh, if you know some important you know, liberty uh, you know, thing that the Liberty Alliance has gotten accomplished that I don't know about, then be sure to tell me. Okay. I would talk to Zephin. Oh, yeah. Uh, Zephin is the go-to guy. He's like their number one bill reviewer. Uh, for listeners that don't know, the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance, in addition to actually doing the research on how you know people should vote, it's actually people like Zephin that do the dirty work of actually reading these bills and rating them. So that trying- sounds horrible. It is. How it do, is. What's the, how, do I, uh, how do I get in touch with him? Um, I can, can get it, I can get him to email you or something. Um, do you have 
an email that's easy for me to... Yeah, I've got his email. Oh, don't don't his email? say it on the yeah, air at any rate. We wouldn't want that. Okay, sorry. Yeah. I mean, you have ways of contacting us outside of the show. I'll so, put so you in touch, that. Dave, yeah. with, uh, with Zephan. But Zephan does this bill review process along with other volunteers. He's just the number one guy, like, by a mile. I've he's, done it. He's reviewed like way more than any other person in the last year. He did like and 800, and I did like three. I don't know if he did 800, but he did several hundred, I think. He did a lot. And That's intense. so he reads these bills. It's it's a hard job because you have to be able to read this, you know, legalese stuff. He's he reads them, he comprehends what they're doing, and then he rates them and they have like a whole system, like an online system where you can, you know, check off different boxes or whatever. And it makes it as easy as possible to go through this and it's automated basically and it files it automatically. And that's how they come up with the recommendations for the uh for the representatives and the senators to vote. And then at the end of the year, when or you know, whenever whenever the session is done, I think it's usually done by June, uh, whenever they finish their legislative session because new hampshire's legislature is only part-time right uh, but when they when they finish up then the new hampshire liberty alliance cooks up their liberty ratings and they look at the different bills that they consider to be the most oriented for or against liberty and they cook up a uh, a series of letter ratings so a through f and then below f is constitutional threat and they will give these ratings to all 400 state reps and Good to Lord. all 24 state senators and at the dinner that Bonnie and I are going to be attending this weekend with other supporters of the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance, they will give out those uh, ratings. So they'll release the the ratings for this last session, and they'll announce who the number one most liberty-oriented state representative uh, was. And so that'll be cool. I look forward to hearing who that was. Uh, Jeremy Kaufman, I think, is going to be at this event as well. He's doing a meet-and-greet uh, this coming Saturday. I assume okay. it's at the same event because it doesn't seem like he would have a different event I don't know. But uh, Zephan, when he first moved here, he was planning on becoming an attorney. Is he still He's working, working on, the, on that? Yeah. That would be why he has the advantage with reading the legalese. Mm-hmm. It's probably good training for him, realistically. Have, yeah, probably. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, it's great work, and I, I'm glad he's doing it. And well, by the way, this it. is something that anyone can do. Uh, so if you are... If you really like what's happening here in New Hampshire, you like what you're hearing about, but you're saying to yourself, oh, I can't move or I can't move anytime soon and you still want to help. Obviously, giving money to these organizations helps, but you can actually give time to the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance and you can review these bills, even though you don't live in in New Hampshire. That's one way that you can help. I think it's kind of fun. The only reason I only got three in was because I joined late. So all the ones that were left to review were like completely really, really hard and complicated. There's more coming up. 603-283-6160. It is Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live, where you're invited to take control of the airwaves and talk about whatever is important to you. 603-283-6160, if you would like to weigh in. That's 603-283-6160. With you tonight, it's Aria. It's Bonnie. And Ian. And we're talking about the anarchists here, and it, just in general, libertarian anarchists, perceptions, uh, just in society. When people think of anarchists, right, they, they think of a, a rioter. Yes. And that's why I love this HBO series so much, because it's exposing people, many of them for the first time ever, to the idea that an anarchist is a peaceful person. Yeah, to the series' credit, uh, in with, I don't know, the first five minutes of the first episode, they address the bomb-throwing anarchist's viewpoint, right? They, They literally have an image of somebody throwing a Molotov cocktail, and they freeze-frame it, 
and they say not that kind of anarchist and they talk about how this movement is a peaceful movement and has nothing to do with uh, with that so yeah, well, because those people aren't anarchists they're attempting to use well, force and violence yeah. yes but they're attempting to use force and violence to achieve their goals right which is the behavior of a state so that's why so far i think this is a pretty good presentation uh because they are defining what anarchist is from our perspective this peaceful liberty loving group of people um but uh from the perspective of uh the art of liberty foundations etienne de la bossy squared over at his Substack, he says this is actually controlled by the cia the hbo uh, hollywood thing is they're, they're trying to paint anarchists as a, as a bad group and essentially bad mouth us. And so uh, do you want me to keep this thing well, uh, rolling here? Yeah, absolutely. D- is there any proof of what you were saying earlier where you said originally you had heard that they got a good contract with HBO so that... No, I just heard that somewhere. I don't remember what, what the source was. Well, it's unlikely that we're, we would ever see the contract that they signed with you know HBO. <laughs> I would say thus far, it seems as though they are pro-anarchist, but from... And he'll make his argument here, and it's an interesting argument. You know, the argument is that they're still trying to make us look bad. Well, I mean, they have to make a show. Yep. There, there yeah. has, to, has to, be to be something dramatic. entertaining there for yep. people to enjoy. And, and they are showing that. that people are having infighting, which, of course, is true. That's yeah. not false. You can't cover that up. Anybody who gets involved in these movements. And I guarantee you the same things happen in, you know, the Green Party or the uh, the Democrats and the Republicans, because that's just how people are. They have petty disagreements. They have cliques. They fight with one another over stupid crap. Somebody's going to cheat on their wife. You know, things like that happen. Yeah. So, going on. So, tell us more about his complaint. So, he says, why would the organized crime government, and he puts that in quotes, want to steer and smear the voluntarist peaceful anarchism movement? The peaceful anarchism slash voluntarist movement has the potential to be the most important political movement in the world for a number of reasons. First, voluntarists and peaceful anarchists expose the illogic and immorality of statism in the only principled defense of real freedom uh, against the artificial fake two-party political system. Second, that's, because that's true, but the average person isn't interested in that level of freedom. That's just a reality that we're going to have to face. You know, it may be the most important movement or whatever, but it still only is interesting to less than one percent of the world's population. Well, yeah, average rest- people are just don't care about politics. And also, what does the government have to do with this? Well, he's he's pointing out that, uh, and there is a lot of evidence that governments infiltrate movements. I mean, there's oh, absolutely. absolutely no doubt that that's what the FBI does. Uh, they send in infiltrators, they send in instigators, agents provocateur. They want to cause drama. They want to cause strife and hatred and disagreement and break apart movements. That's yeah, just a fact. Is he claiming that about this group of people, or is he claiming it about the HBO people? I think all of the above. Hmm. Uh, second, because the ideas of peaceful anarchy and voluntarism have been suppressed and purposely mischaracterized, the people in the movement who've been able to see through the lies and propaganda of statism are an amazing and very powerful group. Additionally, because voluntarism and anarchy are morally and intellectually consistent, advocate nonviolence, and have the potential to unite society behind the non-aggression principle, and is the only political solution that is fair for all, meaning no one gets the ring of power— he says it has the potential for, and indeed is destined for, viral growth. 
I don't know if I agree with him on that, but I would love to be that that to be the case. Yeah, I see a libertarian migration as being the only way that there's ever a libertarian society. Agree, agree, it, and that's what's happening here in New Hampshire. Yes. Uh, finally, the crypto anarchist and liberty movements were at the forefront of studying, understanding, and developing uncensorable, stateless currencies like e-gold, gold money, and digital liberty dollars. So, having one of the fir- world's first conferences that focused on cryptocurrencies would offer the opportunity to steer some of the developing crypto anarchists into NSA-developed crypto solutions and rob a portion of them by ensuring that crypto scams are featured prominently in the in both the conference and the podcast supporting it. Controlling the opposition is a tactic that the liberty movement has seen played out over and over again. And then he gives a couple of examples uh, like the Tea Party movement with people like people on the right like Dick Army, uh, Sarah Palin and FreedomWorks hijacking the largely small L Tea Party movement with tens of millions of dollars and co-opting it into the Republican Party. He then gives the example of the Women's March on Washington, where he says, I've broken down in detail how 60-plus George Soros-connected groups front-ran the opposition to organized crime puppet Trump by bringing 500,000 women to Washington, D.C. for the Women's March on Washington and steering them into worthless slogans, leftist speakers, acceptance of suffering, while dressing the crowd in pussy hats. Given the incredible importance and power, uh, potential power of volunteerism, wouldn't we be naive not to believe that organized crime governments wouldn't attempt to steer our movement as well? But who is saying that just because there's one documentary being made that's pretty good? Nobody's saying saying the government would never infiltrate a libertarian or an anarchist group. Nobody's saying that. Uh, I think he's just pointing out that that can happen. It absolutely could happen. And, you know, it's it's weird that we haven't heard of any successful stories about federal government infiltration of the liberty movement, especially here in New Hampshire with so many people. What do you mean success stories? Like you, you hear the success stories about other groups, you know, you, you can find the connections where, hey, this is how this was really the FBI doing mm. this or whatever. Proud Boys guy that was arrested. Yeah. You have all those well, sorts of things about other arrests. Movements. Usually that comes right. out after arrests and then maybe somebody doesn't take a plea deal and they go to trial. Yeah, and then it's been they 20 to... years. That's true. I mean, that just goes to show that they haven't been able to successfully finagle people into violence. Right? That, they, they've that's tried. what I think, yes. I, I would say they have definitely sent infiltrators into this movement. I mean, they certainly tried to flip our co-host Nobody when he was Rich Paul into wearing a wire into the Keen Activist Center, which he refused to do. So we know about that because he refused it. So we don't know about how many people they did get to wear a wire, about how many people they did send in uh, informants or undercover agents, one or the other, yeah. and who did try to float the ideas, you know, fishing ep- expedition of, you know, oh, well, let's go bomb something or let's go shoot this or that and what happens when these people come in is they don't get any traction they get kicked out Mm -hmm. they get people say look this is a peaceful movement we don't want to have your violent ways here unless you can not be talking about violence you need to not be around and so it just goes to show bunny that in 20 years they haven't managed to be successful in the way of getting someone to go along with their plans. But I guarantee you they've had people in this in this movement and I probably still they do. Haven't. I was saying that they haven't been successful. Well, it's been successful in that they have there's certainly people in the movement and they're they're writing things down and they're recording things and they're they're gathering information constantly. I so, suppose what I meant was they haven't been successful in controlling the opposition here. We don't know. We don't know how high up they've they've gotten in the ranks. I guess not. I mean, it could be me or you. It could be you know, Dennis Pratt or but it's or even Jeremy Coffin. But it, at some point, the, that sort of paranoid conspiracy Ridley. type of thing, it, it starts to undermine the work you're trying to do. 
So he says here uh, in this story, so if the odds are there is an organized attempt to steer the movement, then let's look around and see who's doing the steering and where it's being steered. And this is where he starts to actually look at the documentary. So he says the number one suspects. That's a big assumption, though. I mean, yeah, if we operate under the assumption that you're correct, Mm -hmm. sure, we can proceed as though you're correct. But he hasn't demonstrated that he's correct at this point. About what part? About it, about the anarcho polko oh. being infiltrated and you know controlled opposition by the feds. Sure, if we grant him that and assume it's true, the rest of what he's going to say will probably make sense. But we have to keep in mind at all points here that he has not demonstrated that's true, and we are taking it as an assumption for the sake of the argument. Well, now he's going to look at the people who are involved. So he says the number one suspect, anarcho polko and the anarchists, which is the documentary series we've been discussing. And he points out that uh, there's uh, Jason Blum who's involved. You might have heard of Blumhouse. Productions, mm. Blumhouse Productions makes low-budget horror movies. Ooh, that's uh, like, what are they called? Blumhouse. B-L-U-M. Okay. And when I'm I say low-budget, I, I don't mean that low-budget. I mean still Hollywood level, but oh, okay. but cheaper for Hollywood, basically. Like Troma? No, no, I wouldn't say ho- Troma's B. Troma's like B level. This is okay. still Hollywood kind gotcha. of level, but they they do it on a cut budget. Um, there's probably some movies you've heard of. The I Purge, think they're pretty mainstream, yeah. Uh, okay. For instance, uh, Halloween Kills, Halloween, the recent Halloween remakes have been Blumhouse productions movies so i'm looking anyway. forward to halloween ends apparently that's, that's coming out this third one this yet. october yeah. didn't one come out last year uh, uh the year before i think oh uh, i don't recall exactly when it came out but so he's going to get into the namesake uh, jason blum who's apparently the executive producer of the anarchists do you think the anarchist has controlled opposition if you've seen it or if you're not even a libertarian and you've seen it give us a call 603-283-616 or i want to know people's opinions about this it is free talk live Free Talk Live, and you're invited to take control of the airwaves and talk about whatever is on your mind. 603-283-6160 if you'd like to do that. Again, that number is 603-283-6160. With you in the studio tonight, it's Aria. It's Bonnie. It's Ian. And coming up, we are going to be talking about the big cryptocurrency news today, which is Tesla dumping almost a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin into the market. I want to know how they found buyers for this, right? What exchange facilitated this massive transaction or these massive transactions? We're going to talk about that because it's important in the cryptocurrency world. It's a bad time for Tesla to dump a bunch of Bitcoin to. I, I don't remember when it made news that they had bought you know a bunch of Bitcoin or whatever, but they had to have lost money on this endeavor at this point. Yeah. Well, there was a big drop down earlier today, but it's you know it's recovered a little bit since then. So not a big. It wasn't a it wasn't a right. huge drop yeah, or anything they, like that. When there was news that Tesla was buying a bunch of Bitcoin, it was at like fifty thousand or forty thousand or something. I thought it was much higher back when we first talked about it. So are they like losing half of their money? Sounds like they they took a big bath. That's weird. Sounds like they did. We're going to talk about that, but we are talking about the Anarchists now, which is the HBO series that. From what I've heard, gives a fair shake to anarchists. To I mean, I have seen the first two episodes, and I would say it does give a fair shake to them. I mean, there's still time for them to start doing something shady, but thus far, I don't understand why they would come out with these two episodes if they were going to make it a big hit piece on anarchists, because these first two make it seem like pretty cool to be an anarchist. I mean, it's following around some families with little kids and like 
It's not making people look crazy. Or well, anything. but I can understand why. Like, you have to remember, we're voluntarists. I don't like the term anarchists personally, but I know you guys do. Um, we're people that are in this community. We know, in many cases, a lot of these people. I have met almost, not all, but a good majority of the people that they've interviewed for this. And I think they're good. I think mostly they're good people. I don't have an opinion about Jeff Berwick's alleged uh, scams he's been involved with because I don't know what the truth is on on those claims. I'm not going to send him up the river on that. He's he always nice. been he's always been honest uh, in our dealings with him as far as Free Talk Live's dealings. That's all I can say as far as that goes. And he also came out to defend you guys whenever you guys were, went to jail. The next day he was like tagging Keene Police Department like, what? Just, yeah, why true. did my friends get arrested for selling cryptocurrency last night? Yep, like I said, he's always been honorable in, yep. in our dealings with him. I think he's the only one that, that I've heard of that I haven't met. Yeah, so, uh, you know, as far as my my personal feelings for these people, I like them. Um, yeah. But I understand the argument from the other side is that, oh, my God, this show is going to get into murder. This show is going to get in. It's getting into drug dealing. It's not anarchists doing the murder. That, well, you'll find out about that. Hmm. Uh, there's a crazy person that they're talking about. In episode two, they introduce a guy who's like a, a war veteran who's, you know, kind of a little on the crazy side. And I don't know if he ends up being the guy that hires the hitmen. I can't remember for sure. Those are silly uh, criticisms. That's just drama. Yeah. Right? I mean, you got to have that sort of thing. It is. But I guess what, and I think what he's going to argue here is that there would be supposedly more like crispy, clean kind of characters that they could have focused on. Like but then, who? then like, yeah, that like wouldn't who? have been interesting. And uh, it wouldn't have been an interesting uh, documentary series. Jeffrey Tucker, case. maybe? Mm. <laughs> well, right. Yeah, that's a good example. Falling around Connecticut. Um, so, <laughs> Not in Anarchopolco. <laughs> no, he was there. I'm he sure was he was. Yeah. Oh. I mean, uh, he's a doer, so I, I'm not at all surprised to hear that. He showed up in one of the backgrounds of uh, some of the shots. So anyway, he's going to get into this story here. It's artofliberty.substack.com. He's looking at the, uh, the personalities who are involved behind the scenes uh, of this. Jason Blum, the CEO of Blumhouse Productions, one of the executive producers. Now, remember, an executive producer is just someone who puts money behind a project. Yes, they that pay is, for it. That is their goal. While in some projects, they may have some influence as far as they probably hire the director or something like that. But in a case like this, the director goes... And he shoots the documentary and then pitches it, right? And then they might get some more money from somebody like Blum Blumhouse to, uh, you know, produce a little further to do some editing, do or, some promotions yeah. for it, you know, get it placed on a place like HBO. So he says, uh, cross-dressing Hollywood horror weirdo Jason Blum mischaracterized that's anarchy. That's not fair at all. No, it's not. First of all, no, but that's yeah, that's kind of where this comes from. It seems to come from sort of a conservative viewpoint. To some extent, like oh, he probably hates Keen. No, he's yeah. been here. I mean, he's been very, very kind to us from what I've seen. So I don't know what. He, I, it's weird. Anyway, uh, he he goes uh, goes on. He says he he mischaracterized anarchy as a dystopian chaos if the government goes offline for even a single day. And what he's referring to is a series known as The Purge. This a uh, it's a Hollywood uh, horror series or thriller series or whatever you want to call it. I would call it a thriller, yeah. yeah. And it's not very good. It's a, it's a really tired, boring, cliche concept that you know, if there were no laws for twenty four hours, then, then your average person would become this horrible rapist, thief, thief, murderer type of person, and that's just fundamentally untrue. Ever. Every no listener out there, with the exception of the extremely rare psychopaths, if you had the chance to take someone's life and get away with it, no no prison time, never, 
you wouldn't do it. There's absolutely nobody that I would kill. No one that I would kill if. Uh, yeah, it's not the law that is stopping people from committing murder. It's their own internal sense of morality. And yeah, if they, it's that and people if, are mostly good by and large. And if their internal morality breaks down, the law isn't going to stop them. They're going to commit murder whether it's legal or not. So uh, Etienne asks an important question about this uh, this person, Jason Blum. Can we completely trust him to accurately portray anarchists and anarchy? So you got the same guy who was behind the Purge movies, apparently, is the executive producer of this series. In that quote from Jason Blum about anarchy, was that relating? There was no quote. Oh, he said that he can't characterize anarchy. He's just saying that because Blum was the executive producer of a series of movies that mischaracterizes anarchy as chaos. Did the hmm. Purge ever call it anarchy, though? That's what I was also wondering. I, I called it a period of lawlessness, there, I believe. There is actually a movie called The Purge, colon, Anarchy. Okay. So mm. one of the sequels actually did use the word in the title. I wonder if he regrets that word choice now that he's been affiliated with an actual anarchist project that was peaceful. Uh, he says, I've been working on an expose of Anarchapulco and Jeff Berwick for over a year and will pick that back up to have something shortly after the upcoming fifth edition of my book, Government and the COVID, The Biggest Scams in History Exposed. Ships and before the sixth episode of The Anarchist airs with a complete review and background on Blumhouse Television. Jason Who- Blum said that? No, this no, is this the, uh, the author here. There's no quote from Jason Blum. Oh. Uh, he says, who also produced, among other drivel, the purge anarchy, which denigrates anarchy and makes it appear that a world without government, even for a day, would see the population descend in lawless and murderous dystopia. He says, I've watched the documentary Crew, again, talking about this documentary, The Anarchist now, working on this for years and only interacted a couple of times. I try to give everyone the benefit of the doubt, so I will save the complete review for after the sixth episode. And mind you, he wrote this after the first episode, so he hasn't seen anything since. I don't know if he's written it. He has not written anything since. He doesn't seem to be particularly willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, though, and to withhold his judgment. If after the first episode, he writes this lengthy piece about how how it's, you know, CIA infiltration. Mm -hmm. He says, but I'm deeply suspicious already in the fact that the apparent controlled opposition media asset Jeff Berwick appears to have been elevated as a leader in the voluntarist movement and that organized crime Hollywood would have a documentary crew embedded within Arcapulco for six years not to mention the documentary has already been reviewed by Time, CNN, The Guardian, Salon, The Daily Beast and more Monopoly media cartel outlets right out of the gate. Now I haven't read any of those reviews so I don't know what the you know the mainstream media opinion on this. Well, is. they're certainly not calling it a hit piece against freedom lovers, right? That, that the Vice would Vice would never say that. MSNBC would never say that. The New York Times, to them, they're like this is mischaracterizing anarchists as peaceful loving people, and that's wrong. Anarchists are bomb throwing rioters or whatever. Yeah, the uh, New York Times just came out with a hit piece about anarchists like two days ago. He says it gets even more suspicious. You just can't make this stuff up. Another executive producer, Jeremiah Crowell, was the executive producer of a documentary series called Pandemic, How to Prevent an Outbreak, featuring Bill Gates predicting COVID-19 and pumping vaccines that was released on propagandist Netflix in January of 2020, a month before COVID-19 hit. Alex Jones alleges that Bill Gates funded the documentary, but I haven't seen anything conclusive on that yet. But Bill Gates and vaccines are definitely the heroes of this very prescient documentary or predictive programming propaganda piece that set the stage for the scam of COVID and demonstrated foreknowledge of the quote unquote pandemic on the part of the propagandists. I mean, that's certainly alarming, but I I would hate to criticize a director or whatever based on every film they've ever done or every project they've ever taken part in. Some of these, they're just looking for a paycheck. I don't know. And also, we can't skip over that he just alleged something about Jeff Berwick. It is Free Talk Live. 
Free Talk Live, where you're invited to share your thoughts and opinions. We're talking about the anarchists here, the HBO special, and whether or not it's controlled opposition to the actual peaceful voluntarist anarchist. It's it's difficult to say what this guy's motives are, right? We're, the guy whose article we're reading, we're never going to really know what his motives are, but he sounds a bit salty, in particular at Jeff Berwick. And he mm-hmm. sounds upset that he's not getting the credit that he feels he's due. That That's my take on this, because that's why he keeps mentioning, you know, his competing festival and all the book sales he had and all of these other things. He's like, I, I was I was a big deal. And from what I'm understanding, he's upset because the documentary focused on Jeff Berwick and other anarchists rather than himself. So is he part of Anarchaforco? Yeah, I think they changed the name of it. He mentions that earlier in the article, which is a forked version of Anarchapulco, the anarchist event that is focused on in this documentary series called The Anarchists. Hey, you're speculating, Aria, I am speculating. Um, uh, about that. I, I don't know. It seems like you know this is just somebody who has some serious disagreements with people in the, the liberty movement, which isn't unheard of. There's definitely you know personality conflicts. Maybe Jeff Berwick did him wrong or he, he perceives he got done wrong in some way by the people who were putting Anarcho-Polco together. I don't know the story. No, but, but certainly uh, not, but worth mentioning. And I, I hope the guy here is listening to the show because there's a, some chance he might be. Um, he's been on the show before. This is the, Your article here is exactly what controlled opposition would do. To try to sow dis, uh, yes. dissent and you know turn people against one another. They would attack the people at the top. They would attack yeah. the whole idea. They would, they would smear the documentary. It, he's doing exactly what controlled opposition would do. Even if I was somebody who knew nothing about anarchists and for some reason came across this guy's article, I would think that the art that the, and I hadn't watched the show. Mm-hmm. I would think that the show was showing worse people than it actually is. Like it's mm-hmm. not showing anybody look crazy or bad or bomb throwing. It's showing a bunch of families with kids mostly. Well, according to uh, Jason Henza, who's in the documentary, who's mm-hmm. watching us on YouTube right now, it's going to get really, really ugly, which sounds about right, based on what I know of the history of Anarcho-Polco. Mm-hmm. That said, this is what you get when you have 600 anarchists. Half of them are potheads. The other half are doing cocaine. That, that's just the reality. And if they're not doing any of that, they're a boring square like this guy. So going on here, I don't know if I would call Howard a, a boring square, but... Uh, mo- I mean, but- if he's taking issues with cross-dressing and the drug use and the drug dealing and all yeah. this other stuff, he- I'm sorry, man, that's a boring square. Yeah. I mean, his name is Attila Buenvela Squared. <laughs> cross-dressing <laughs> drug dealers have made my life immensely entertaining, so I can't hold that against them. To me, they bring goodness to the world. Yeah, I, I don't know what his. I suspect he has his own vices. I just don't know him well, well right. enough to uh, to say anything about that. But and, and maybe he's trying to pander to the conservatives for whatever reason. I don't know. I don't know why. But going on here, he's looking at the production side of things and who are the executive producers or some of them involved in this? Because the claim is that the people who are on HBO's side, the claim not by um, the gentleman writing the this, this attack piece, but by the people that support this documentary. The claim is the people who uh, were involved in making this documentary 
were not controlled by HBO. There wasn't some puppet master at the top telling them, oh, you have to have this narrative. You have to do this. You have to show this. You have to make America, you know, anarchists look, look this way. That's the claim that I've heard, but he's saying differently. He's saying, look at these people who are involved. You've got the guy behind Blumhouse, Jason Blum, who's made anarchists look like bomb throwers and violent in his series of movies called The Purge. Can he be trusted? I, I, that's uh, not a fair criticism. I've seen the... I've seen a lot of the Purge movies. I, mm-hmm. I've certainly seen the first Purge, and I, I don't recall anyone ever characterizing the event as anarchy. That said, there was a movie called Purge Anarchy mm-hmm. that like six people watched, right? Like th- this mm-hmm. was like the third or fourth movie in the series, and you know how ratings are and how down. viewerships go down. Once yeah. you get to that point, th- it, it's the like... The bottom of the barrel. Yeah. it's <laughs> probably. I'm going to look it up on IMDb, in fact, to find out what it's got on Rotten Tomatoes, because I imagine it's somewhere like two stars or three stars, because it's not a good movie. Not a whole lot of people watched it, and it didn't damage anarchism. And But you make a good point. It's not like he named the first Purge, Purge Anarchy, and uh, it's not like, yeah, you're, it's not like that was the point of the entire movie. There is Purge Election Year, Purge Forever, Purge Anarchy. There's several of these things, wow. and they only get worse. They're just cheap. Cheap churnouts, yeah. basically. I mean, I don't blame the guy for having a what was. Well, actually, I'm shocked. IMDb has a rating of six point four for the Purge Anarchy. That's significantly higher than I would have expected, having seen it. So he focused on another producer, Jeremiah Crowell, saying he was making documentaries about, um, you know, essentially outbreaks, pandemics. Uh, you know, with Bill Gates being featured. This other woman, Mary Lissio, is an executive producer who appears to make uh, actually specialize in making movies that reinforce the quote official story, unquote, of historical events where the CIA, FBI, or organized crime media was either the main suspect in government criminality or was involved in covering it up, including CIA assassinations, hoax shooting for gun control, and a government massacre of over 80 men, women, and children. There's a movie she's producing now called Enough, which is about mass shootings in the United States, a movie called The Walkout, uh, which is about the shooting in Parkland, Florida, which he calls a hoax. I'm not sure why. I mean, uh, worth mentioning as well in regard to Purge Anarchy is that uh, this guy, Jeff Bloom, was not the director or the writer, and he didn't seem to have anything to do with it other than owning the production, the production house company. that mm. did it. Ten weeks. Yeah, well, this this lady seems like the most, uh, the only one so far that he's mentioned that I would think maybe it, uh, maybe I understand his point about her. Another movie Literally she's like, producing is called Ten Weeks. Quote, five Americans go through ten weeks of basic training, showing their transformation from civilians into soldiers. Unquote. Translation, pro-military recruitment infomercial where five human beings are tricked using classic textbook unethically manipulative techniques and Hollywood propaganda into adopting a completely indoctrinated worldview and pseudo-religion, statism, where they sell their souls soul dyers uh, by agreeing to kill whomever they are told in foreign wars based on lies and manufactured intelligence uh so you know to some extent should have led them with that lady so to some extent when you are you know a producer you're just trying to make money right so maybe she's just somebody pouring money into various different projects because she thinks she's going to get wealthy off of them but to another extent you do get to choose your projects right like she also chose anarchists she did she did, but that, the question is why? Is there is you know does she have a hand in producing this? Uh, is it really going to get as ugly as uh, Jason Henza, who was one well, of the Well, that's because the facts says, are ugly. That's not because of mm-hmm. any particular smear campaign by the. the but creators. would they have produced this if it wasn't so ugly? Do they want to make anarchists look like an ugly, violent, dangerous, evil movement? Let's that's ultimately they, the question. I would suggest that. Go ahead. 
was going to say, let's see if they do the Free State Project next. I would suggest that it doesn't appear to be the case that they're trying to do that because they, they open it up by talking about how these anarchists are peaceful people, not mm. the violent bomb throwers. They do. They do. And will this be presented in a, you know, ultimately uplifting fashion? Will there be a positive mes- uh, message at the end of this or will the message be, oh, look, a bunch of anarchists moved to anarcho, you know, arco- Acapulco and turned out they all fought with each other and then the movement disintegrated. Is that how it's going to end? Look at all Is these that people. Is the reality who, of how I don't know. it ended? I don't know. I suspect I suspect a lot of the people who moved there have moved out. Um, but I, you know, that's my suspicion know. as well, based on some of the people I know. But yeah, even too. if they end with that, they're just relaying the facts of what happened. Just mm-hmm. like you know, Derek J's victimless crime spree ended with Derek J moving out of the state, right? Yeah, it true. wasn't a smear campaign against the Free State Project. That's just what happened. Six zero three two eight three six one six zero. If you want to weigh in on this subject, it is Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live, and you're invited to join the show, 603-283-6160, if you would like to do that. Again, that number is 603-283-6160. With you tonight, it's Aria. It's Bonnie. It's Ian. And I want to say thank you to Brent Freeman, who is tonight's amplifier. This means that Brent is a member of the AMPS program. You can find it at amps.freetalklive.com. That's amps.freetalklive.com. It stands for Advertise, Market, Promote, and Support. So if you value the show, if you want to help us get on more radio stations, get our podcast, more listens, all of that great stuff, joining the AMPS program is the best way to do it. It only takes five bucks per month. That gets you in. And you do get a number of cool little perks, like there's an AMP-only chat room on our Matrix server. There's an AMP-only Facebook group. And there's even an AMP-only version of the podcast. So check it out, amps.freetalklive.com. Brent, thank you so much for your contributions. We're talking here about the anarchists. And this one particular anarchists understanding of the documentary as being a hit piece against anarchists and voluntarists and libertarians and to be fair he says he's suspicious yes these are his suspicions he says he's withholding judgment until the end but he he does have some strong opinions about what could be going on with the anarchists which is to say that it may be designed to ultimately make the anarchist movement look bad even though to its credit in the very beginning it does point out that this is a peaceful movement uh that these are not bomb throwing uh anarchists so at least the narrative from that perspective has been correct so far and as you point out aria it's not lying about anything right? right like it's revealing that yes there is drama within this movement yes this family doesn't get along with this you know family and they have I their mean, spat they had a whole episode already about cryptocurrency and they i didn't detect anything really negative no they haven't gone after crypto yet no you're right about that so I'm interested to see. I think I'm going to wait until all six episodes are out Just at this point. It. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I prefer to binge it. I don't like waiting on something that I'm invested in. It is kind of frustrating. Like, yeah. I haven't done it in a long time. Like, Tiger King, I waited until they were all out before I watched it. And that proved to be a really good decision because mm-hmm. I would have hated to wait from one week Too to the next. Yeah. And I suspect the same thing is true of the anarchists. So once all six are out, I will binge it at that point. So we've talked about the production side, according to this is artofliberty.substack.com, who's the critic here. 
uh, of this series, and he's looked at the producers who the producers he's focused on are the executive producers. They're not supposedly not the ones with the creative control over the project. They just have put some money into it. Executive is lower than regular. No, executive is the highest level uh, produ- producer. They are the people who are the money men for uh, the for project. But so you they don't the- always have creative control per the- se. Oh, okay. The ones he focused on were executive. Correct. Yeah, three of the executive producers. There's more than three, though. There's a, there's a series of people. Sure. He only looked at three of them. So then he says, so which anarchists, and he puts that in quotes, were featured in episode one? First, I'm not suggesting that every speaker, sponsor, attendee, or employee of the Anarchapulco or subject featured in the documentary is controlled opposition. In the same way that... Ian, everyone knows you're controlled opposition. In the same way that rat poison is overwhelmingly good food, the overwhelming majority of speakers, attendees, and employees of Anarchapulco are amazing, free-thinking individuals, which is what made the conference so amazingly cool. Run this by me again. What did he say about rat poison? I think it's like it's 80% cockroach food that's fine for them and 20% poison. Okay. You got to get them to eat it, right? Uh, He says, I'm also not suggesting that every single person who I highlight below is being chosen by the filmmakers to poorly represent the movement or tar tar it through association are, quote, quote, in on it, unquote, as controlled opposition's shills. Those people were just being themselves, man. I mean, again, this is what you get when you have anarchists and libertarians together. Some are likely useful idiots whose personas were chosen and words were taken out of context or legitimate leaders in the movement like Larkin and Amanda Rose, who participated to reach the HBO audience and are being used by the filmmakers to give a gloss of authenticity. I myself have been an attendee and was a speaker even after I began to suspect in 2018 that Anarchapulco was another organized crime controlled opposition scam i continue to participate that is one hell of an accusation accusation, he says he's going to be writing an expose uh i continue to participate to reach the audience how how does he justify writing a piece like this without backing it up with if he has evidence to support these claims he says it's coming out in the next five five weeks but and that may very well be true but it doesn't make it any less reckless and despicable to have this hit piece hanging out there for five weeks he says, I continue Back to... With no evidence whatsoever. He I does can, say that he, it's just his suspicion in it every time he says stuff like that, but it's pretty bad. Well, he didn't say... Oh, yeah, that's right. He does say suspect. Uh, I continue to participate to reach the audience and get hard copies of my book into the hands of important people from around the world. So now he looks at the individuals. Jeff Berwick, he accuses him of cross-dressing and shows an image of Jeff Berwick wearing uh, lipstick as the tranny vigilante at one point. <laughs> I wonder what he'd think wish, of Arya. I wish I had thought of that. Suspected, I've met him. I've met the author of this article. I'm, Howard? Yeah. Oh. He's been at the Porcupine Freedom Festival. I have no idea what he really thinks about me, but he hasn't... He must no, think you're evidence never, of uh, us being... Oppose opposition because he never seemed to be the kind of person who would really care about that sort of thing. Too, yeah, but. I mean, no now he's it, mentioned it twice yeah. while well, cross dressing and then. Yeah, he mentions it twice. as the first point as well, which is strange. Suspected controlled opposition media figure connected to the Obama and Biden administrations through Jessica Kill, the producer of Anarchapulco. And we're going to get into her. Wait, in Jeff Berwick is? 2019. No, Jessica Kill. So I think what he's saying here isn't really fair because he's saying, well, you knew this other girl who's connected to Obama and Biden. Okay, well, that's... I'm sure we know plenty of people who are connected to the federal government. Actually, yeah, yeah uh... Joel Valenzuela used to work for the Bush, the Bush administration, uh, White House. He says, "If you T.J. Tr- the spy used to work for the NSA." Yeah. yeah, he says, "If you were trying to make the voluntarist anarchist movement look seedy, you couldn't have propped up a better con- CDAF conman than Jeff Berwick." 
from defrauding voluntarist investors in the Galtz Gulch Chile scam, selling fake passports to anarchists, to promoting Ponzi schemes like BitClub and a dozen S-coins. You couldn't ask for a worse representative. And again, I want to say this about Berwick. Uh, he's never done anything dishonest with regards to Free Talk Live. All of our dealings with him, he's been honorable. Um, I don't know about these allegations. There have always been a lot of allegations, and he just referred to some of them about Berwick. But no, I, as far as I'm concerned, I, I have no opinion about them because I can't yeah. know for sure and, whether yeah, or not— Yeah, has anything ever been proven? Has what, anything right, been taken to court? It's not real clear. You know, there's two sides to every story, and who knows? Berwick himself may have been taken advantage of in, in those well, referencing, circumstances. Referencing crap coins tends to make me think of that, right? There, there have been countless you know, crap coins that I was invested in, that I was mm-hmm. interested in, that I was promoting out there. But that they, you thought were going to work. Yeah, it doesn't mean I was, you know, defrauding anyone or being dishonest. It was a project that I believed in that ultimately just wasn't successful. Those things happen. And And I'm pretty sure Jeff, I mean, John McAfee is uh, not seen as a fake anarchist. So there is something that he brings up here that has been addressed in the second or has been brought up in the second episode. Uh, it wasn't brought up in the first one, but in in the second episode, Bit Club makes an appearance. And when I first heard about this, I was immediately skeptical. BitClub is or was a essentially Bitcoin Ponzi, Bitcoin mining Ponzi scheme. Or at least that's what it appears appeared to be. That's what it's being accused of being. People have been brought up on criminal charges wow. uh, about this. When it first came across uh, to Free Talk Live, we were at Anarchapulco. We were broadcasting from the event, and uh, you know, the Joby Weeks, who was one of the representatives of BitClub, was obviously interested in getting on to talk about it. And I don't think we we did promote this thing because I was immediately skeptical of it. I know, you know, network marketing to be immediately right. skeptical of uh, of that. And so I was I was turned off from it based on the network marketing aspect of it. But it seemed really, really, you know, possibly scammy to me. And that was without having dug too deeply in, into the situation, promising big returns. There was a whole bunch of like red flags about this thing. Like, you know what? I don't want to be associated with this. I sure as hell don't want to join the uh, the thing. And then a few years later, federal government, you know, arrests these guys and brings them up on charges. And there's interesting allegations about it. Now, it's the federal government, so they tell lies. So who knows how much of the the allegations they're bringing are true. I don't even know if these guys have been convicted of anything at this point, even though it's been a few years uh, since they were charged. But BitClub was a, you know, definitely a, a, a big name at Anarchapulco. Now, that doesn't mean anything about what Jeff Berwick believes because right. it could have just been Jeff Berwick's like oh you've got ten thousand dollars and you want to be a sponsor okay come on in I mean I certainly know that if Mark Edge were running the event he would have done the same <laughs> damn thing which is why I've had to tell Mark on multiple occasions hey man why don't we check this thing out before we accept them as a sponsor and I've had to turn down a number of uh, companies he's wanted to sponsor this show so I don't know if Jeff Berwick was as uh, choosy about his sponsors certainly sounds like it wasn't it's free talk live It is Free Talk Live. You're invited to join us on our social media server. You can find that at social.freetalklive.com where you're not going to be censored by these big tech platforms that are, you know, prohibiting you from expressing yourself online. We don't do that over on our social media server. That's social.freetalklive.com. It's a... It's on a Mastodon server, which is very similar to Twitter. It's called tooting instead of tweeting, but it's got a very similar 
user interface. Well, depending on what app you use, because it is decentralized. No one's in control of making the one true app that people use for Mastodon. So you could use Tusky or Wellbird or any other app that you prefer. Can we change the name of Toot like Trump did? You'd have to edit the code of the server, so you'd have to talk to the administration because about that. Because earlier today, Ian said, I tooted about the blah, blah, and I was like, oh, God, it just sounds so bad. I, I, I don't, I'm not a fan of tooting either, but I mean, it is what it is. I, <laughs> I, I usually just say I tweeted it because, I mean, yeah. it's so similar to posted. Twitter that, yeah, or posted. Posted's even better. Mm-hmm. But let's go to the phones. We have Bob on the line from West Virginia. Bob, you're on Free Talk Live. Well, I don't have a whole lot to say, but... I would like to give you a heads up. Do not be fooled because somebody tells you they are anarchists. Uh, there are anarchists that are purist Marxists that believe that they will first create the dictatorship of the proletariat. And well, then they're uh, not anarchists. Once everyone is, once everyone becomes the true communist man, then they will realize their true uh, identity and the state will wither away. That's the anarchy they believe in. Right. And, I'm familiar uh, the, with those. They tend to avoid libertarians in New Hampshire, though, because we're a, we're a different yeah, well, breed of anarchists here. I understand, but I'm saying beware of the big bad wolf who, uh, you know, goes in sheep's clothes. Uh, sure. It's they good advice. fool you. I don't know if any of them have ever been uh, able to fool us up here because, I mean, if you talk to an anarcho-communist for a little while, it shouldn't take too long to suss out what they really believe. And I don't see any reason why they would want to, you know, try to infiltrate right. us to fool truthful, us. Though, like Bob Avakian in Colorado. I'm not uh, familiar. Yeah. He's got his, uh, yeah, well, he's got his following and they are, you know, the idea is to lure people in with the idea of anarchy and uh and then do what Pure with them? Freedom or whatever, and they eventually become his followers. And he's in Colorado, man. I don't care what he does. Let, let let him drag all the communists to to Colorado if that's what they want. I'm and good I'm with saying, it. Beware, beware! Uh, don't always believe. You know, you can't judge a book by its cover. Well, it seemed to me like what you were saying when deal with, that's all. The sure, beginning of this be call. Skeptical. Well, the beginning of this call, he was saying something opposite than he's saying now. He was saying that the people these. Or anarchists that supposedly tricked him, they want to bring about communism first to bring about anarchy. So how would they trick anarchists if they are telling us they want to bring about communism? We would just be like, okay, go, go do that somewhere Marxist else. Leninists believe that ultimately they will eventually the state will wither away. Well, they're not going to trick anybody. True anarchy. That's what. Well, they're very the vague on. The, they're very vague on that particular subject, right? Like. They they established this dictatorship of the proletariat, and then suddenly, magically, anarchy. They're, they're, mm-hmm. In the Communist Manifesto, there's but no clear... But sure. they, We've never even come close to actually attempting communism anywhere. They, they, they Just socialism. But even so... Right. They trick they, you by saying it's never truly been tried. Well, it hasn't. It hasn't, Bob. We yeah, haven't socialism had has been tried. Yeah, that's communism for sure. has not been tried. There are tried. communes. I mean, some communes, uh, you know, have su- survived over some number of years, but those are done on a voluntary basis. And if y'all, if you know, if communists want to move to a commune, I think they should. Yeah, uh, that, that they should stay there. Yeah, and some well, of those are still I'm, successful. That's all I have to really say. I'm all right. Not- 
Thank you, Bob. I don't think we're going to be tricked by them, but I appreciate your concern. And and certainly you should be skeptical uh, of anybody that comes into a movement uh, trying to, I don't know, take people somewhere else, I guess. I mean, we are libertarians, right? We are distrustful of anyone who comes in and says... I want to take control of the reins of power to set mm-hmm. you free. Well, and what happened in the case of Anarchopolco, getting to the next character here in this story at artofliberty.substack.com by uh, Etienne de la Bossi Squared, who is a critic of Anarchopolco and a critic of this The Anarchist documentary. He brings up Jessica Kill. Okay. Now, that is that last, her last name? Yeah. It is actually her last name. And Jessica Kill. Is it, is it spelled K-I-L-L. Kill? K-I-L-L. Wow. Killed. I know some kills, like K-E-E-L. No. Hmm. This woman killed this event. She was brought in to supposedly, she was supposedly like somebody who has event managing experience. She'd been involved in other conventions, right? So she knows how to run conventions and things like that. And the experience that Free Talk Live had at Anarchapulco changed when this woman took over the event. And it was okay. for the worst. Uh, and I, I wish I could remember all the details on how things kind of went bad, but it we weren't able to successfully negotiate our agreement with Anarchopolka, which had been, you know, a nice agreement that we'd had previously where, hey, we'll come down, we'll broadcast. You don't have to pay us. Just, you know, give us a hotel room and, you know, we'll broadcast the whole week, basically. Right? Yeah. Pay for our tickets to come down, pay for the hotel room, and we'll do what normally we would charge an event, $1,000 a day. For zero zero dollars per day, right? Like right. just for the cost of the hotel room and the, and the tickets, and we could not negotiate that same deal with her. And I forget what it was that her problem was, or what Seems she so was simple. But she 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 seemed to be purposefully throwing a wrench into our ability to broadcast from this event that we broadcast from from for so many years. And, and then the event died. Weird. And well, no, I don't think it's. I think it's still going actually. Okay. But uh, but she. Well, you said really, she killed it. She did. I mean, she 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 made it. A much worse event. She ran out of some of the longtime supporters of the event. It wasn't just us that had a bad experience with her. And I think eventually Jeff Berwick did get rid of her. But she did run the event for two years. And she kind of like kind of kept things going in 2019. But then in the 2021, it, it everything went downhill. That was the one we couldn't negotiate with her to come back. Yeah, there and, was also an issue with a penthouse or something like 2021? that, if I recall correctly. 2020. 2020. Oh. So there were a bunch of problems with uh, with this person. And what's what I've learned from this article is that she apparently was connected uh, with Obama and Biden. There's actual photos of Jessica Kill, like buddy buddy with Michelle Obama in a in a photograph at some event. Uh, there's another one with her and Biden. Another one with her and Obama. Uh, so it's kind of I a mean, strange... she's an event manager. I don't particularly find that damning i mean if i wanted to hire an event manager i would care that they were good at bringing people to my event and running a running an event i wouldn't care oh well you're affiliated with the democrats well it does suggest that she may have other allegiances which may mean you know she was purposely trying to sink the event uh in some ways so anyway i just thought that was interesting because we definitely did have a bad experience with that particular character but she was really the only bad experience we've ever had with anarchopoco everybody else we encountered there was uh, was really cool and it was a really fun event and you know i i would go again to yeah. to the event if if we had the opportunity to and i don't i don't take issue with the fact that somebody's got a problem with drinking i mean jeff berwick sure. admits that he's got a problem with alcohol hasn't he gotten better I don't know where he's at with it uh, hmm. these days. I think that, that, you know, a lot of people fell fell off the wagon and then they get better and they have a whole yeah. history with this stuff. Well, so, let's go to the phones. We yeah. also have Sarah on the line from New Mexico. Sarah, uh, people have been looking forward to your call all night. I'm not one of them, but other people <laughs> have been. What's on your mind tonight? Are you still there? Oh, she's gone. 
I, I don't think I hit the button. Oh, the, no, yep. Sarah, uh, you're gone. I keep hitting the wrong button. Okay, I'm not used to using this particular phone. I usually you're also use ill. The, I am also ill. Medicated. Sarah, you're okay. on Free Talk Live. Hey, you're, are you telling me I have a fan club? I mean, that's not the word I would use, but sure. I would. She has a lot of fans on YouTube. Which really? is a troll what chat. What so about? I mean, like, that they found 6,000 needles this year here in Albuquerque. Whoa, excited about that's it? that's a lot of needles. What a shining uh, promotion for Albuquerque, <laughs> New Mexico. All of Sarah's calls. Come on down to Albuquerque. You'll find your own needle. 6,000 needles. Well, I mean, those are the used needles that somebody used and they tossed out laying around. Yeah, it's an average of 16.4 needles per day. It would be ideal to have, you know, needle disposing stations in, you know, next to trash cans or something have those. like that. They probably have those. So people don't use I, trash I, cans. I, I, are there I, that I, many diabetics in New Mexico, Sarah? No, there's that many drug addicts. But there are oh, laws man. against drugs. How do you know they're drug addicts and not diabetics? Well, I really don't know, but I, I think, do you think it'll help if they put the, the waste disposal in the parks for them to dispose? I mean, how many needles do, do you think they would get put there? If they're drug addicts, they don't want to live anymore, and they're almost uh, hoping that they OD while I'm shooting drugs, do you think they'll just toss it in the sand? They'll so, just probably just fall asleep with it right next to them and then wake up later and walk away. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how a heroin addict would deal with those things, Sarah. I, I don't know any heroin addicts, at least not well enough to find out how they would. I mean, there's certainly heroin addicts here in Keene, but I don't go, hey, man, how would you handle it if there were needle disposal stations at the trash can? Would you bother to throw your needle away? Hey, check out The Anarchist and make up your own mind. Absolutely. You can find that on HBO Max. We're out of time for tonight, but you can chat with us online in the meantime at social.freetalklive.com. Again, that's social.freetalklive. Let us know whether or not you've enjoyed The Anarchists. It's Free Talk Live. <laughs> 